This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Happy Monday morning to you. Hope you're at it again doing uh, what only you can do, right? Get out there and make it happen is, uh, is the goal of a Monday morning. Boy, oh boy, our hearts and prayers go out to the people of Houston, Texas. Unbelievable uh, rainfall and um, flooding going on there now. I think 13 trillion gallons of water I've seen. Holy cow. Wow. What do you say except uh, we're praying for you and uh, hope that everybody can be okay, can get to a safe place. I saw crazy pictures of senior citizens sitting in a in a care facility, and they're waist-deep in water. Wow. Just 12 uh, seniors waist-deep in water waiting for help to come. Unbelievable stories coming out of the area. May equal Katrina. Harvey may equal Katrina. See, this is why mm. it should have been Hercules. Should have named it Herc. Crazy. Unbelievable. Ah, I feel so bad for him. And then again, there's nothing we do we can do except uh, pray and I guess too send donations in. Do what you can to uh, support relief efforts there as well. We've got a lot to cover today because it is Monday. We will be talking politics, and who better to help us with that than Joe Cannon? We'll be speaking with Joe in the know about what uh, you know the president's response to this. I mean, that's one of the. This is one of the telltale signs of a good president, right? Is how they respond to such an emergency and how quickly sometimes how, how quickly they respond or or don't respond. Um, Interesting. Uh, President Trump is totally on it because he's tweeted about it. <laughs> so he's going to the area, I believe, Tuesday. And again, there's there's not. A, I mean, sometimes it might be better that they don't show up. Maybe they create more of a problem by showing up. Yeah. But um, we uh, we'll be talking to Joe about that and many many other things as we get this uh, week started. Again, Monday's not always the favorite day. Really? Yeah. A lot of people. I, I don't know if you know this. A lot of people don't like Mondays. Oh, I thought it was Fridays. No, Fridays they like because okay. yeah, Fridays they really love. Mondays seem a little harder to uh, to get going. <sighs> Terry's even having a hard time with his microphone today. It's like uh, it's it doesn't want to play. It's had the weekend off. Yeah, it's just been kind of hanging here. Now someone comes in and starts <laughs> starts wiggling it, mangling it, playing with it. So uh, we've got we got a great show again. Uh, Terry and Jeff are are locked and loaded as well, ready to give us news headlines, empty news headlines, um, all of that. I'll give you an update too on my high school reunion. Went really well. Oh, that was over, that was this weekend. That was this weekend. Oh, yeah. I made a joke that because I, I was the MC, so I made a joke that. You know, because they always have like the the we had a senior quartet that came up and sang, and the high and and the the president of the senior class has to do all this work, even though he ran for thirty years ago, he still has to keep doing these reunions. Don't run for class. That office. is the worst office you could have. It'll never go away. Ever. Thank you. Thank you. So I made a joke. Oh, I thought that was no, the no, that wasn't okay. the joke. No, so I made a joke about. Um, how come it is that we never have like dance club come up at the 30th year reunion and do a little dance? So, like, like drill team or somebody? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? So I asked our – I just told our dance club uh, ladies that get ready 
because I'm going to have you come up and dance in a few minutes. And uh, and then – no, that wasn't the joke either. Oh, OK. No. And Can then – Maybe just tell me – I'm getting to the joke right now. OK. Yeah. Just say – the end. Was or... the timing better on this joke than no, what no, you're no. explaining? So, no, no, okay. so, <laughs> It didn't... seems like it keeps going. No, so at the very beginning I said, so dance club, we're going to need you to get stretching because we're going we're gonna to have you dance in a right. few minutes. And they were all terrified. Because mm. th- imagine you're 30 years old and you haven't well, done a – Well, 30's a little – I mean, no, sorry, sorry. You're, you're 30 Closer year, to 50. Your 30-year reunion and you, yeah, haven't, yeah, yeah. you haven't been dancing for years. <laughs> 30, wow. So uh, back to the joke. Go, go ahead. So I said um, – so I, so then about 20 – we had dinner. Then about 30 minutes later, I came back and I'm like, OK. So I talked to Roger, who's the president. And, I, and I, he said, yeah, we can't have them dance. And I'm like, why? And, I'm, and he's like, because you know, if, they, if one of them – if one of them just pops a hip out, our insurance can't cover that. We're not even insured for that. Mm. So Pep Club won't be dancing. That was that was the joke, and the response. That was the response. No, no, no. That, no they cheered. They clapped. But one woman then said, "Ah, tepid applause. It's nice." Then one woman said, "Hey, hey." Her name's Becca, of and course. she said, "I'm not even in dance club, and I can still do the splits." So what do you say to that? I'm like, prove it. <laughs> did she? She did. She wow. got up on stage, and at forty-seven years young, forty-eight years young, she did the splits. So thirty years later, it was a weird moment. Yeah. Still seeking attention. Was there an applause from that? Oh yeah, the people were. There was okay. an applause. I even had a paramedic standing by, hooting and hollering, <laughs> huh? Wow. Yeah, one of our paramedics, Amy. So I'm like, you know, what do you do with that? Except wow. And then anybody, I said after that, anybody else got. Any other weird talent they want to show? It's like that, that Steve Harvey show where they bring in super old people and they do like gymnastics. Huh. Yeah, he's got a show he does that. So oh, that, what's that one that's, called? That's when I old lost. Old people doing gymnastics? Oh. Steve Harvey? Yeah. <laughs> that's, when I lost the, uh, that's when I lost the whole audience. Wow. But then another guy that's double jointed came up. Someone was juggling. Yeah. Chainsaws yeah. came out. It was crazy. Yeah. Guy doing magic. It was kind of a. It was, I don't know. It was. It was. It was, it was – I thought it was a really good uh, reunion, hmm. but mm, I don't think anybody else did. Hmm. Well, now, <laughs> that we've heard, now that we've heard that joke, I think, uh, Terry, we're out of time. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? That was a great <laughs> joke though, don't you think? <laughs> totally worth it. Pep club or a dance club. I didn't even bring in pep club. That's mm. a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Joe Keanu will be joining us. <laughs> That's straight ahead. And uh, all that other stuff we've got to do today. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's up? So emergency crews raced to pull people from cars, homes, as flooded water rose across southeast Texas Sunday, rescuing more than 1,000 people in the Houston area as Tropical Storm Harvey pounded the region. Harvey came ashore late Friday as the most powerful hurricane to hit Texas in more than 50 years and has killed the numbers all over the place. I heard two, then there's five, then that number keeps moving around. So there's oh. people between two and maybe seven by now. But oh, th- they boy. haven't been able to get to the home, so that's where they'll find. They'll probably find devastation. More, unfortunately, yeah. uh, the death toll expected to rise as the storm lashes the U.S. states for days, triggering more floods, tidal surges, and tornadoes. Harvey's forecast to arc slowly towards Houston through Wednesday. The center of the storm, still 125 miles southwest of Houston, 
The President Donald Trump will travel on Tuesday to the region. Two giant reservoirs in Houston were released about 2 a.m. this morning, worsening flooding in their surrounding neighborhoods. Officials plan to release the dams one at a time, but the dramatic increase in rainfall overnight led them, oh. left them with no choice. Collectively, they hold 4,000... Uh, 410,000 acre feet of water. Oh, boy. I'm not sure what an acre foot of water is, but it sounds like a lot. It's a big, huge foot. For the rest of the nation, gas prices expected to jump by 15 to 25 cents along the Gulf Coast and 5 to 15 outside the region. Or if you live in my neighborhood, it went up 5 cents. Because we get our gas Did it from, already? Yeah, we get our fuel from Wyoming, but it went up. How funny, because aren't we actually using the fuel that they bought like two weeks ago? Yeah. Not and then weird. it doesn't come out of that area uh-huh. at all. So. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, 30 undocumented immigrants were arrested on Saturday after allegedly entering the U.S. illegally through an underground tunnel that led to San Diego, U.S. Customs and Border Protection said. Wow. U.S. agents searched the area, discovered the crude opening in the ground with the ladder inside, and determined that it was a smuggling tunnel. Uh, they added that 23 of the 30 individuals were Chinese, 7 were Mexican. Officials also warned of similar tunnels being used to facilitate human smuggling. Hold it. Yeah. Those Chinese, maybe they had been they had dug a hole all the way through the earth no. to San Diego. The end of it was in like It's a big old Mexico. hole. Oh boy. Do you ever dig one of those holes as a kid? Yeah, but I never got above like my waist. Mm. I yeah, just got tired. Gets bored. You're yeah. Like, ah. Then I found a better goal. You hit the clay, you hit that clay level, and you're like, ah, that's really tough to dig Once through. Once you're down to the clay. <laughs> At least 14 people have died in San Diego in the deadliest U.S. outbreak of hepatitis A in decades. Oh, boy. Nine of those deaths happened in the last six weeks. Of the 264 people who have been hospitalized since November, when the outbreak began, 70% of those were homeless. 2003, three people in Pennsylvania died of hepatitis A after eating contaminated salsa. A decade later, some 69 were hospitalized from infections linked to bad pomegranate seeds. Okay, so if you had to catch hepatitis A... Yeah. Would you rather have it from some salsa and chips mm. or from pomegranate seeds? Salsa. Totally. Totally. That, that'll that kill you. Pomegranate seeds are kind of tough to chew on. But they are high in fiber. Oh, sure. If you're looking Low for that. Low in liquid, high in fiber. And finally, there's no way getting around it this week's uh, weekend's domestic box office was a c- catastrophe. What? Saying. With Hurricane Harvey. It seems like Harvey's a catastrophe. Harvey's, a, Harvey's the catastrophe. Yeah. But this is, you know, out of variety. So okay. they're, they're looking at yeah. the This is a variety industry. catastrophe. Uh, so the box office, apparently nobody went to the movies. You had that going on. You had the Floyd May- Mayweather, Conor McGregor fight, yeah. which is supposed to be the biggest pay-per-view event in the history of all pay-per-view of eternities, events. eternities, yeah. Um, and so- Basically, nobody with no major releases last weekend, connecting with audiences in a significant way. The overall box office this weekend not expected to pass sixty-five million. The top twelve films that were in the theaters didn't gross fifty million. Who cares? <laughs> like who the, cares? The number one movie. Do people care about this? No, they do. But the number okay. one, just showing that nobody. Usually, people go to the movies. Oh, that's true. But right, I but know there but were other there was things. A McGregor fight was the biggest thing of all time. Right. But the McGregor fight made $2.8 million in the theaters because they were showing it on sort of the top ten. College football started too, right? Uh, NFL started. Well, third, third it's game. All pre, yeah, uh, but, it's I all mean, pre-season. Yeah, but I mean, this is like, come on. We don't, who cares about the So movies? there's other things. But this is the worst uh, box office since 2001. Is it – do you think it's because there's – is it the movies? Yes. There's just no – There's the, the, hit, the Hitman's Bodyguard. Which nobody cared about because it looks bad. 
The hitman's bodyguard, like the hitman needs a bodyguard? Yeah, it's supposed okay. to be a... Yeah, it's basically oh, it's a, a spoof between... of the bodyguard with Kevin Costner and uh, Whitney Houston. Right, yeah. Yeah, have fun. That's We got that's Sam Jackson a, and Ryan Reynolds. That's and... not a huge success? No. <laughs> there weren't even any snakes in that film either. Uh, you put one snake in the film, you double the sales. So, bad movie weekend on top of lots of other things happening more important, and <laughs> nobody went. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I don't. I had my reunion. I don't care. I don't care about anything. I saw a forty-eight-year-old woman doing splits hmm. that hmm. I didn't even know she could do them when she was seventeen. Maybe you would have dated her <laughs> had you known. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's how it is. Hey, so uh, do the splits? Can you do the splits? Um, reunions are weird. That's why my rule is. Don't go. But you know you need to go. No, no. You need really. to go. You really don't. It was fun. It was super fun, but it's mm. like you you were all thrown into each other and into into having to deal with each other back in the day. You had to do it because you lived in the same district or whatever. And then you go to school and you hang out. And then you're supposed to go back every few years and reconnect. Doesn't it depend on your experience in high school? Totally. Yeah. yeah, but the people that you've wanted to keep in touch with, you've kept in touch yeah, with, hopefully. right? We we see them more, yeah, regularly, right? But then there's the other ones, and you're like, wow, wow. That was my first joke, by the way. Thank heavens for Botox. You guys look great. Wow. You didn't say that. I did say that. You're a monster. Yeah. Do you do this professionally? Can you go yeah, and like host me. other people's like high school reunions? I you could use could. the same jokes. I've got a lot of good jokes. You could even pretend like you're a member of that class. Yeah, yeah. half the people in the room wouldn't even know if you were there, part of their school or not. You're just oh, there. <laughs> That's right. They wouldn't know. And then um, you want to add this to your your website? I really should. I should do. I don't like to do MC work. So I've it's done a new, MC a new work. Tab MC on the work is not easy. You know, the only thing more pathetic than wedding crashing is high school reunion crashing. Yeah, you've got to be a real because it's a. <laughs> you still have to. It's a paid bar, mm. so there's nothing free there. Really, it's the meal was. You had to pay sixty five dollars to get in. But if you waited until an hour or two into the reunion, you could probably trick a lot of people into thinking you were actually in that class. Yeah, but then what? what it, did, it's better to go to a wedding. You could fake that and have what did, free food. What did you eat? Oh, we ate uh, gold-encrusted chicken cordon bleu. So know. something mm. they pulled out of a box that was frozen. It was really good. The food was incredible. Tossed Sounds in like a microwave. The lunch awesome. lady was there then. <laughs> I didn't even. Yeah, the, the lady with the hairnet was there. Oh, it's just great memories. It was awesome. You gotta love it. Sixty-five bucks. Sixty-five bucks. Well, that, got, it's because you're you're renting a hotel and all yeah. of that. Next time, I'm sure they'll just do it. You know, at the high school, it's cheaper. Wow. Okay. Bring the lady with the hairnet out. It was all good. <laughs> it was it was great. Um, <laughs> it was it was really sad because, yeah. Again. Uh, not really selling not the, a lot of the content. evening. No, it was, it, was, it was really great. There okay. was, there's not a lot of content there. So there was, we have two guys from our school. Um, one is named Michael Wong. The other is named um, Howard Hong. Hmm. hmm. Okay. And they were talking on Facebook. Are we doing wordplay with names? No, they were no? talking okay. on Facebook about how whenever they go to the reunion, everybody thinks they're the other person. Of course. Sure. So Michael Hong, you know, Michael Wong thinks, people call him Howard Hong. And anyway, so I brought him up and- we we had a contest to see who is who. It was really fun. 
And it was my, fun. My father and I, yeah, messed it up. I'm going to probably get this wrong. My father told me at one of his high school reunions, they actually put up embarrassing photos. Yeah. And they had like a booking photo from him or something of that where he got like pulled over by the cops or something. But there was some embarrassing photo. Well, you don't get there. booked when you're pulled over by well, the Well, no, cops. It was some, there was something else because uh-huh. there was some police photo. It's petty theft. Maybe it was his driver's license. I don't know. But there was just embarrassing Is that photos. that when he robbed the bank? And, yeah, well, it was a, it was a local <laughs> bank, so everyone knew who he was. Yeah. But. <laughs> hey, Terry. We just Is that, does he go by Terry? No, it's confusing if he does. Okay. Yeah, so he's usually dad. Dad. Yeah, you, dad. yeah, you don't want to call him Terry. Kind of rude. <laughs> Did anybody still have their mullet? No. From when they went to high school? No. No, no mullets. mullets. There wasn't a mullet, but we did talk about how a mullet is all business in the front and party in the back. So hmm. original content is what you're talking so about. So a joke no, is – That joke was invented in oh, our day. Oh. A joke as old as that your is, class. That, that, no, that is an original joke. Okay. Yeah, you guys, you guys heard it after we made it up. Hmm. Yeah, many times. And we also made up the mullet. Oh, well, okay. Right? So, What was pre-mullet? You can have that, by the way. You pre-mullet can keep was that. just a nice haircut. All just right. A, just a good, nice haircut. Mm. Traditional male cut. Yeah. Wow. Rounded, rounded back. Kind of boring. Yeah. The mullet, that's exciting. Love mullet. how the, the mullet kind of represented rebellion back then. No. I'm going to rebel and I'm going to show you it was and just hot, grow this mullet. It was hot style. Mm. Wrong. You're hot and you're in style. Mm. Speaking of mullets, President uh, Trump um, had a really uh, interesting. He, he's on. He's all over the Houston thing. He's tweeting a lot about it. Well, that and other things. He gave a book recommendation. He criticized some Republicans. You know, he's busy. Yeah. Seems like you wouldn't want to criticize. Republicans, but we'll talk to Joe about that. By the way, here's a few numbers about the flooding. This is just crazy. 11 trillion gallons of rain is what Harvey has already dumped on Texas. 11 trillion. 2,000 water rescues as of Sunday evening. Mm. 316,000 power outages. 56,000 number of calls to Houston's 911. It even got to the point that the 911 was like, don't call us to tell us you're trapped or stuck. Sorry, don't do that. Crazy. 132 wind uh, miles an hour uh, in wind gusts and uh, 62 counties under Texas disaster declaration. Man. Mm. Well, we uh, again, our prayers are with you and everybody do what you can. If you hear of opportunities to donate to, you know, charities, do so, especially charities that you trust. Right. And uh Let's let's get out there and take care of our brothers and sisters in Houston and and Texas. Uh, we will continue the journey. Joe Cannon will be up next. We'll be talking about uh, boy politics, everything that's going on, and uh, get a little insider's view. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Well, nothing is more confusing sometimes, I guess, than uh, than our political world here in the United States. Um, President uh, Trump seems to uh, he's the head of the GOP party, except he tends to beat up and uh, take on a lot of GOP members. In fact, more so lately than he has any of the Democrats. And so 
we always like to bring in Joe Cannon and let Joe help us try to understand what's going on politically or try to make some sense of uh, the things that are happening in politically in Washington. Joe is a, f- a former chairman of the Utah Republican Party, was also a candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator of the United States Envi- Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration. And Joe was also an editor of the Deseret News, um, uh, a large newspaper um, in the Intermountain West. And so we're uh, we're honored to have Joe with us. Joe, thanks for being with us, even though you don't like to feel like you uh, are in the know. Thanks for having me, Matt. We love having you, Joe. Joe, holy cow, Houston, what is, what do you do as a, as a leader, as an elected leader? I mean, Houston is flooding. It's underwater, 11 trillion gallons of water or rain so far. And now they have to open up all of the reservoirs, uh, which is causing more and more flooding. How do you feel the president's doing, uh, with with handling, I guess, such a national disaster? Well, actually, I think he's doing okay. I mean, I, I'm not sure what anyone could do. I, I guess one of the things that's troubling is that whenever these storms, really starting, by the way, from snowstorms in cities yeah. to get mayors in trouble, uh, I, you know, uh, politicians are very powerful, but they're not more powerful than the weather. It's so true. Uh, so I, I'm not Sure, and I'm thinking. You know, I I have a son, daughter-in-law, and six grandchildren oh. who live in Houston right now. How are they? Are they okay? They're, well, they're okay. Their house is okay, but they're in Virginia uh, on vacation visiting the other grandparents, grandparent, grandmother. Wow. But they are uh, not able to get back. The the airports are closed. Yeah. Uh, so they're kind of following a remote control, and their neighbors assure them that the house so far is okay, but. You know, I don't know. This has been an unprecedented amount of rain and uh, continuing. Yeah, well, it's a, and you, you an do amazing natural disaster. It is, and you hear about it. You hear about how Katrina. Everybody thought that President Bush had too slow of a, I guess, a, um, a response to Katrina, and and the, you know the images of people standing at the Metrodome or whatever and living in the Metrodome and people dying in the streets and dying there. I mean, it is, it can become a really huge political issue if, uh, oh, if, if you don't sure. jump on it, right? Well, and there's already the debate. I don't think this gets to President Trump yet, but, you know, should they have evacuated Houston, not evacuated? I, I don't know. I kind of come down on the side. How do you evacuate a city of six and a half, you know, millions yeah. and millions of people, the fourth biggest city, and actually on the way to becoming the third biggest city in the United States. It's, wow. a, it's a massive problem that that uh, that uh, not sure what you can do about it, other than send emergency aid. And I think there that's happening. I would say urge all of us, and I will too, contribute to the Red Cross. I mean, that's there there you know boots on the ground there. That's how you do it, huh? Uh, and I'm, um, sure, I'm sure that I'm sure the LDS Church, our church, is going to be uh, very, very active in in uh, sending people and doing volunteer things. So, mm. but it's it's, it's just a it's a disaster of gargantuan proportion. Yeah, yeah. One thing too, and Rex Tillerson responded to this: the fact that Houston is is an oil. Uh, you know, it's where a lot of the big oil companies are. A lot of the big resources are already kind of in that area. But uh, Tiller, Rex Tillerson was saying, 
you know, if anybody's ready for this kind of stuff, it's it is it's, it's these really large companies that are out there um, prospecting oil because they've they have so many. I mean, they're, they're always living in some sort of um, difficult or inclement weather. Well, they are. I mean, uh, but we will. We, the rest of the country, will feel the effects. It's something a, a huge chunk of the refining capacity. It's in that neck of the woods, and so that you you could expect gasoline prices to to go up somewhat too as a result of this. But you know they're sending in three thousand National Guard members and they're joining the local Texas Guard. I mean there are a lot of things that are happening. But I, I think one of the most surprising things I saw, you know, you hear about ten year floods, one hundred year floods. You know, someone's saying, well, this is probably a five hundred year flood. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I hear that. No, in fact, uh, as f- about prices going up as well, we're already seeing like just overnight. Is, is that just gas stations taking advantage? I guess because you know, in Utah, we, th- this hasn't even this is just getting started. Are they just now saying now we better raise all the prices? Yeah, I mean, it's always interesting to see when and how the market reacts. But I think. Uh, I don't really know what gas prices are today, so I haven't seen, I haven't, you know, been out getting any gasoline yet. But I definitely know with with these refineries out, there will be a shortage of gasoline. Yeah, which do, does cause prices to go up to some some degree, maybe a big degree for a for a few weeks here. What, uh, as far as Trump is concerned, um, some of the news that also uh, hit this weekend that was pretty big is Trump pardoning Joe Arp- Arpaio. The, yeah, uh, yeah, America, America's sheriff, right? America's sheriff, right? <laughs> now, t- uh, talk about that because that ends up being—I mean, a lot of people, you know, think he's racist, think he's uh, that he's done things that you know don't necessarily justify a pardon, and especially after all of the Charlottesville and and all of that attention. Um, what do you think of that move? Well, I don't know. Pretty sure I wouldn't have pardoned Joe Arpaio if I were president, but I uh, it, it does it does bring up a lot of issues. I I guess I don't personally connect it with the Charlottesville situation only because he's been he the president has been a fan of Arpaio's oh. from the beginning, sure. and Arpaio of course has been a fan of his, and they're they're apparently completely in sync when it comes to uh, what to do about uh, immigration. Uh, so yeah, it, I mean it, it sends a signal. But let me just say, uh, not that one, you know, two wrongs don't necessarily make a right. But every president, not every, well, almost every president has pardoned people who you wonder what the heck. Yeah. President Obama pardoned a terrorist, Oscar Lopez Rivera, a Puerto Rican terrorist convicted of bombings, over a hundred bombings in the United States, sentenced to fifty-five years in prison. Uh, he was pardoned. Mm. President Clinton pardoned a guy named Mark Rich, who was like a huge tax fraud guy, cloistered over in Switzerland, uh, tax fraud, Ill- illegal dealings with Iran. He got pardoned. Uh, President Nixon pardoned Jimmy Hoffa, labor corrupt labor boss Jimmy Hoffa. Mm. And, of course, President Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. So you have yeah, the whole history of pardons is, um, is checkered. 
you know, by definition, you're not pardoning somebody who hasn't been convicted of something. Right. Many are worried that this could be, you know, a signal too that anything that does happen with the Russian uh, decision, you know, there will be a quick pardon for the friend or whoever it was. Could be. I mean, uh, Nixon and Ford and George H.W. Bush all pardoned political appointees for various for Iran-Contra, for uh, uh, various other kinds of political investigations. And even uh, uh, President uh, George W. Bush commuted but didn't pardon Scooter Libby. Hmm. Uh, uh, because of the of that, uh, the Valerie Plame investigation. So, yeah, no, there's no question there's a uh, potential tool there uh, that I'm confident this president will use to uh, to deal with some of the some, if not all of the fallout from the uh, Russia investigations. I don't know that. I don't honestly, I don't have any inside knowledge on that. But I think the the what you noted is if he's going to pardon Sheriff Arpaio, I'm pretty sure he would pardon yeah. some of his loyalists who got who got. And like I say, that that presidents have done that. Cherry Truman uh, pardoned a guy who was convicted of government uh, contract skimming at a pretty high level. Hmm. So I mean, um, that's that's what presidents use pardons for. Well, and yeah, and he'll do whatever he wants. <laughs> So, well, that's, that's also right. In the end, especially if it's his family members. Um, uh, you also heard that Deputy Assistant uh, Sepp Gorka, um, kind of the he's, – he's one of the more vocal uh, deputy ch- assistants, I guess, in the White House. So he ends up speaking a lot for the White House. Um, he, he was uh, apparently forced out, uh, I, I guess was more of a loyalist with Bannon, huh? And um, yeah, yeah. Well, talk about that. What's – What's going on there? There, I guess, are we still cleaning house? Is Kelly still moving people out? Might be to the end. The only guy left that's a, a real um, Bannon acolyte is Steve Miller. Right. And Steve Miller has sort of, uh, I think, ingratiated himself pretty directly with the president, having written a number of the speeches, uh, maybe including the inaugural speech and including the speech over in Poland, apparently. So I, I, I'm guessing that he's probably going to survive this. But Gorka, I think, was was uh, it's only a question of time with Gorka. And he's apparently going back to Breitbart um, uh, to. Do you do you sense they'll they'll end up hitting back from Breitbart? Do you think they're going to go back and and beat up the president, um, or just take on his enemies? Well, you don't know. I mean, they both have to feel pretty burned, yeah, by being ousted. On the one hand, on the other hand, all of their public statements have been more of the latter of your point that okay, we're just going to carry on the fight outside the White House against the president's enemies for the president's agenda. So I, I haven't haven't seen any break or heard any break yet. And they seem to be, you know, pretty strong on supporting President Trump's agenda. What do you what do you think um, about President Trump, I guess, when it comes to the Republicans? Again, it's been an interesting uh, week of him taking on Mitch McConnell, of him taking on 
um, Corker, some of these these people that have been pushing back on some of his comments and and some of his uh, some of his I guess approach to to being president is what do you think he's doing? I mean, at some point, as the head of the GOP, wouldn't we be trying to strengthen the GOP um, instead of attack the GOP? Boy, I don't know. I am completely perplexed by this. Uh, it's clear there is personal animosity, and there it was clear before the election even, between McConnell, Senator McConnell, and President Trump. Though President Trump did appoint Senator McConnell's wife to be the Secretary of Transportation, right. uh, uh, which is normally you wouldn't know or much care about the Secretary of Transportation, but it's a very crucial part of the whole this whole infrastructure push a, a chunk of whatever's going to happen on infrastructure development and growth is going to be through the department of transportation which is highway funds bridges all the stuff that you, that you hear about so there was that move and um but there's still this undergirding uh, animosity and i think in part it reflects the president's view of his base. A lot of the base, his, his, his particular base, really hate, quote, the do-nothing Congress. Um, so I, I, I don't know where it's coming from because, yeah, there are only 52 Republicans. Right. And no matter how much of a genius McConnell is, he's not going to be able to control some of those folks, including particularly Senator McCain. So... Uh, there were, you know, I guess 52 votes against the health care plan. 48 of those were, I guess, 51. So 48 of those votes were 100 percent of the Democrats. Hmm. And so I, I guess if I'm President Trump, but I'm obviously not, and not an advisor, but I'd be concentrating on the 48 votes and try to peel some of them off. Right. Uh, as opposed to attacking Republicans, even he's attacked Republicans who voted for him on health care, like Senator Flake, right? like Senator Heller. Um, you know, two Republicans who are up, the two most vulnerable Republicans up, whereas you've got, you know, eight to ten Democrats in deep red states that are up who also who voted against the president and who routinely vote against the president. If he used the exact same rhetoric, if he used the exact same rhetoric that he's been using on the the GOP, if he used it on the Democrats, it seems to make sense. But it's just I just sit there and I think I don't know what you're doing. Like put pressure. I get it. Put pressure, but put pressure on uh, on everyone really, not just yeah. not just the leaders of the. Of the Republican Party, anyway, it's it's a confusing well, time. There's, yeah, there's no question that there's some animosity there. Yeah, on, on both both the House, we've talked focused mostly on the Senate. But, yeah, uh, no question that the uh, House there, there's tension between um, Speaker Ryan and the President also. Yeah, no, totally. Well, Joe, let's uh, take a break and continue the discussion. We're speaking with Joe Cannon. We call him Joe in the know. He is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization that's uh, trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. 
and uh, we like to pick his brain because he's he just knows a lot of what's going on back in Washington, D.C., knows a lot of people, and is constantly meeting with them. We'll continue the journey and the discussion. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. We are back talking with Joe Cannon. Joe is our Washington insider, also CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, an organization trying to lower your fuel costs here in the United States. So we appreciate that. And uh, Joe also um, uh, has, a, has a really strong history just in, uh, in, in politics because you got to know people to make stuff move in this country. And Joe, uh, we, we like him on the show simply because he knows so many people. Joe, thank you again for being with us. Thanks, Matt. Again, I know you hate it, but uh, we're gonna we got to call it like we see it. So, Joe, um, one of the things that is happening is uh, some of some of um, President Trump's uh, his his team, his staff are are making comments that that don't they, they're not like traditional. You know, we support the president. Whatever the president says is right. And uh, Rex Tillerson made a comment about the fact that. Um, uh, in regards to Charlottesville, he said, I don't believe anyone doubts the American people's values or the commitment of the American government or the government agencies to advancing those values and defending those values. And he basically said the president was was talking for his about his own values, not necessarily he wasn't speaking for all of the people. What I mean, is 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 that OK to do? Like It seems like that would get you in a lot of trouble with Donald Trump. Uh, it could. It could. I mean, um, um, Secretary Tillerson is also doing other things at the State Department that aren't, you know, particularly well regarded by folks in the White House. So uh, you don't know. I mean, uh, the president appointed a cabinet. You've got other people. It's not It's not just Secretary Tillerson. Uh, Gary Cohn, the, the chief of the, the head of the right. uh, National Economic Commission. Um, uh, Group the policy group is also sort of wondered out loud about the president's remarks. Uh, the only guy who really, well, there are, I guess some other loyalists, but uh, Secretary Mnuchin jumped in and said, "I never considered resigning." And, and you, you recall he had uh, a whole bunch of his GL classmates right. wrote him a letter saying he had to resign, and he fired back saying, "No, and not only no, but I never considered it." But there are there are you know, people clearly uncomfortable with uh, with the reaction to Charlottesville, and we'll see. You know, it's uh, we'll see what happens in that fallout. Sometimes there's a long memory. Sometimes there's forgiveness. You know, we'll mm. see. There's been a, a really interesting um, idea thrown out there, and I guess uh, Kasich has pulled off of it a little bit that. That there might be a, a whatever a unity ticket that would come up in 2020, where uh, Kasich, John Kasich, and John Hickenlooper, Kasich, a Republican from Ohio, Hickenlooper, a Democrat from Colorado, would get together to create an independent ticket. Um, do, do you see any of that happening, or something like that happening down the road, where you know people are trying to divide uh, parties now? 
Well, I mean, a lot of people are wondering. Uh, uh, there, there really are four parties in the country. So there are two Democrat parties and two Republican parties kind of split around ideological, philosophical issues. And uh, I used to say when I was chairman of the Republican Party in Utah that really there were three parties in Utah, and I was chairman of two of them. <laughs> uh, the um, So, yeah, there's always going to be this movement, and actually— uh, President Trump is Exhibit A for somebody who came in, and and although he ran as a Republican, uh, was able to encourage people from the Democratic Party who normally either wouldn't vote or haven't voted, even for Democrats and certainly not for Republicans. Enough of them crossed over for him to put a put a winning coalition together. Now, can you do that from the center out? I don't think so. Hmm. You know, I, I know Kasich pulled back a little bit uh, yeah. on his statement, but anyone who's run for president can't not think about the possibility of running again sometime. Now, whether Kasich would think about running again with a Democrat in a in a non in a non party, I mean, they're both fairly moderate governors of of interesting states, but I don't I don't see a third party movement doing anything other than siphoning up enough voters from one party or the other to elect the other party. Yeah. Uh, Bill Bill Clinton never got 50% of the vote. He was elected in 1992 because a significant number of people voted for Ross Perot uh, in, in some states that mattered. So you had a, you had a guy get elected president with well less than 50% of the vote. Still one of the two major parties is going to feel the next president of the United States. It's not going to be a third party. Mm. What, um, I guess, too, one of the keys to success for the president in in the 2020 uh, election would be getting some legislation passed. Uh, tax reform is one of the things that's on the docket now, I guess. Um, how do you think that's going to go? Do you think, because it's also, I guess, it might be uh, and an infrastructure bill as well. I mean, the, the, and they're, I guess they somewhat go hand in hand. What do you think the likelihood of that getting through is? is uh, what does that look like? I don't know about infrastructure. I mean, there's always the hope, uh, and President Trump has mentioned it a number of times that this could be bipartisan. I don't feel that in my bones that there's a bipartisan uh, bill there. It's, I mean, if I were a Democrat, I, I would say, why would I do that? Why, why don't I just let them uh, see, let them, the other party, see if they can hang themselves? So I, I don't know. I don't feel like there's going to be bipartisan on infrastructure. For sure, there's not going to be a bipartisan support for tax, uh, uh, any kind of tax legislation. However, I do think the tax legislation is almost certain at one level or another because mm. everybody wants it. Everybody needs it. It's not nearly – well, taxes, of course, are complicated – but it's not nearly as complicated as undoing a program like Obamacare, right. which had lots of lots of complications, lots of hair on it. Uh, whereas tax reform, however defined, is actually relatively simple to do. You still have the problem in the Senate for how you do it with, you know, 51 votes, and I don't know how they'll deal with that ultimately. But but I, everyone everyone knows. I mean, Republicans, Democrats, they all know. They have got to have tax reform or they're in really, really deep trouble uh, mm. politically. 
So that that looks like that may happen. Anything else we should be keeping our eye on that we haven't talked about? Uh, boy, there are plenty of things, but I would just note that uh, in, it was this day in 1963 that uh, Martin Luther King delivered his his uh, mm. I Have a Dream speech oh, in Washington, D.C., at, at un, uncharacteristically, of today anyway, at a very peaceful um, gathering of, you know, more than 200,000 people. Yeah, a lot of people. At a, at a civil rights rally, and he delivered a speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial, uh, pretty well received then by lots of people at both parties. Um, and no, by the way, just, just literally... Five years later, in 1968, you had the what I'll now call the old new left anti-war demonstrators uh, going, you know, clashing in the streets of Chicago mm. as the Democrats nominated Hubert Humphrey for president. So in a little five-year span, you have some interesting history there. Yeah, fascinating uh, history. Well, and also, I mean, really, it, it shows you such a wide spectrum of how we can how we can approach our biggest issues you know politically here on the earth and uh, here in the country well we appreciate you joe keep up the great work there at fuel freedom foundation if anybody's interested go to the website fuelfreedom.org you can find out more about the battle to lower fuel costs and uh, joe's right on the front uh, front line of that we'll continue the journey folks giving you the information the ideas you need to live longer love stronger lead healthier happier lives this is the matt townsend show Wow, really, uh, no matter what you feel about how things are going with uh, the president or with our political world or our equal um, equality and respect of one another here in the country, there is something that is bigger than maybe all of that today, and that is that there are hundreds of thousands of people in Houston, one of our largest cities, struggling to uh, to make it through the day. And so, again, we always talk about on the show, we're one disaster away from, you know, putting our, our responsibility first to work and to serve and to love and to care for one another. Um, so hopefully that's taking place. Um, again, I also truly believe that there's a lot we can do. You can get in touch with the Red Cross. You can donate to the Red Cross. Um, and other uh, charities that are respected and and do what you can as a citizen to to make a difference. People are struggling. People are hurting. And uh, I guess uh, when you have 11 trillion gallons of rain and 2,000 numbers of um, rescues, air rescues uh, yesterday, it's, it's, it's a big deal. And People are suffering. So, again, keep Houston in your prayers and South Texas in your prayers. Uh, we will for sure on the show. And remember, we're here together. This is our great uh, This is our great responsibility as fellow citizens. We all are to look after one another. We will continue our journey here on the show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here, uh, your coach, your guide on the side. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. And also in the studio, Jeffrey Simpson, Terry South. The gang's all here. hey hey <laughs> And it's flooding in Houston. Unbelievable flooding. Uh, Terry keeps finding story after story. Apparently, if you see an alligator, yeah. leave it alone. That's what they're telling people. Stay away. Isn't that always good advice? Well, pretty much, yes. Yeah. But in this yeah. case specifically. That's what grandma I mean, used to say. Wash up into your basement or something. Just oh. let, it, let it go. Oh. Well, frogs. We just, there's yeah. a house with some frogs in it now. I mean... Unbelievable stories. This is at least one sign of the second coming. Yeah. Two, I think. Yeah. I don't remember the alligators, though. No, alligators are... They're in there somewhere. They're they're in there. Okay. Frogs, uh, a rest home, a senior center with... The photo that went out of all the Uh, people in the rest home sitting in... They're sitting in couches and the water's up to chest high, so... It's unbelievable. And that photo went out, and uh, those people have been rescued yeah, they're and taken, all, they're care, taken of. care of. But initially when that went out, people were doubting that that was a real photo, and they're like threatening people, I'm going to report you for yeah. false, th- whatever. False, fake news. Yeah, or so, it, it was just interesting. But that was real. There were people in this rest home, and they couldn't move these people. Right. And they needed help, but all the phones are down. So people started putting out pictures on social media, but- you know, not everyone is watching your feed, so... Well, know, and then you've got... Hmm. Some of the seniors were, like, crocheting, and yeah. everyone's like, right. But what else are they going to do? And some maybe aren't, you know, in their right mind enough or able physically enough to do anything but sit there. Those naysayers, yeah. they're anti-elderly. Mm. That's a good point. It's a really good point. And you know what's interesting, too? They're getting a lot of drone footage. So now everyone's putting their drones out there, which seems like a risky adventure because then all of a sudden you may not get your drone back. Right. But uh, drone footage out there, people are volunteering their boats to save lives. It's it's chaos. This is like a once in 500-year storm. Till it happens in like 10 years. Yeah, till it happens again because of global warming. Ah, crazy. Well, again, our prayers are with them. And uh, again, do whatever you can. Uh, to get out of the way, to do what you're supposed to do. Many are wondering why everybody, you know, why we didn't evacuate the town, why we didn't evacuate the city. But that's a big decision, and you never know how big was, how big this is going to get. I was reading the last time they had a event close to something like this. They did do an evacuation of the city, and like 10 or 15 people died trying to get out of town no, in car right. accidents. Wow. And so they're like, what are we supposed to – I mean, there's all these people. There's not enough time. It went from a Category 2 to a Category 4. Just in, a, in a, a really fast time period. So trying to get all those people out, there's not enough roads. Yeah. Oh. You just end up with people in their cars. So they decided to not have an evacuation order. Well, you're going to lose either way. Because if you don't, you can't. To be able to call something like this perfectly, it's it's impossible. And I, again, Houston, fourth largest city in the country yeah. and of, growing. A lot of people are uh, finding that out for the first time. Yeah. That the city's that big. That is a huge city. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that today. Also, we're going to be getting into um, how, you know, how school and what happens at school 
may impact how you see if school's worthwhile. So if school is really negative for you, you may feel like it's not worthwhile and you actually frame it as something that's not necessary. And we'll be talking with an expert who's been doing research on the subject about motivation and how your motivation may simply come from whether you like something, whether it's whether it's easy or hard for you. I loved school. Did you? We just took our daughters to back to school night. I was so jealous. I was looking around at all the crayons and the books and the chalkboard. I kept thinking, I want to go back and do this. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, we could could have you do some drawings during uh, the segment, the next segment. Do you want us to get you some crayons? Do you have some? Yeah. I always keep crayons in my drawer just in case. I would love that. Yeah. We'll, We'll track some down for you. God, I didn't know you'd have such a fond... Like an emotional reaction to kindergarten or preschool or what was it, preschool? Kindergarten. Kindergarten. Yeah. We wow. went to uh, back to school night with our teenage son, junior high. It was a nightmare. A lot of people. Junior high is the worst. A lot of people. There. Worst two years of your life. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. Without I that, question. You know that, that hot, scary, you know, hot flash you have when you walk into the gym mm. and you realize you're trying to talk your boy into showering. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, after gym class, you got to shower and. They're looking at you like, no, no way. Are you crazy? I no. bet when you walked in there, you could remember, you could feel the rope burn still. Oh, yeah, totally. No, my hands started to swell up. Um, by the way, you don't, kids don't even need to shower anymore because they have Axe body spray. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, lots of Axe going on, but no smoking. Those two things cannot but- go together. Do we know what secondhand Axe body spray does to? No, that's we know the problem. Se- there's been secondhand smoke studies, but secondhand Axe body spray, the cloud of Axe oh. body spray. Oh, yeah. It's horrible. I mean, yeah. I we Just for our children's safety, we have them put on their body spray outside, hmm. outdoors. Away from the open a- flame. Away from an open flame and away from each other. Okay. Yeah, if you're going to die. Cross-contamination would be a right. problem, too. Yeah. Oh, boy. Mm. Especially when – because we have like two or three different scents. Mm. Yeah. Mountain Meadow and like minty fresh. It's just minty not good. Fresh. New car. <laughs> new car smell. <laughs> he smoke a new car. Thanks, Dad. Um, we got a lot to cover today, including empty news. We'll get to the stories that you didn't even know you needed to know with the with the Matt Townsend news team, empty news. Um, also, we'll do some headlines of the, the information you actually do need to know. And let's start there with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the country we should be paying attention to? Houston being inundated with flooding of historic proportions after the ferocious Hurricane Harvey set in over the Texas Gulf Coast this weekend, dumping torrential rain on the city with no end in sight for days. The massive amount of flooding comes after the storm, which now has left five dead, bashed the Texas coast, leaving buildings and parts of communities submerged. In Houston, there were more than 1,000, you're saying 2,000 calls over the weekend. Wow. Just to get people yeah. rescued out of their house. And, uh, again, the criticism on whether they should have evacuated or not. Houston, I mean, we, how many estimated billion gallons of water were you saying? 11 trillion yeah. gallons That's of water. That's just rain. So now we've backed up all the reservoirs. So they need to be opened or they're going to overflow, which now is going to flood the areas again. And they were suspect when it came to some infrastructure issues with those reservoirs. So nearly 15% of the U.S. oil refinery capacity has been knocked out by flooding from Hurricane Harvey there on the Gulf Coast. 
raising gas prices and, you know, futures, because that's how that works. Authorities in Dallas are turning to the city's main convention center into a mega shelter to accommodate thousands of Texans forced to evacuate their homes amid the hurricane's unprecedented flooding. The shelter will reportedly be able to host as many as 5,000 evacuees, with county officials, charity groups, and local hospitals aiming to have the center open by Tuesday morning. San Antonio, I heard, it was going to open a uh, facility there mm. for evacuees. So, Wow. Just trying to move people out of the region yeah. until the water backs off and then go back in. Got to do what you can. Organizers have confirmed that a 10-day march from Charlottesville to D.C. protesting white supremacy will begin Monday. Participants will march more than 100 miles over 10 days, logging roughly 17 miles a day, and stay in churches along the planned route. Because we know that this is a very dangerous moment in our nation's history, a moment that requires action. Marchers, uh, organizers said in a press release, coordinated by a number of activist groups, according to the march's website, peaceful demonstrations described as wave after wave of nonviolent civil disobedience will begin when participants arrive in D.C. September 6th. Wow. So just plan accordingly. There's going to be people on the road. <sighs> okay, good, all right. Good. Do you want to walk to D.C.? No. Okay, well. No. I mean... It's an option. Yeah. It's one thing you could do. It's one thing you could do. Uh, apparently, the older we get, the more of us there are who don't like our jobs. At least according to a new survey of more than 2,000 employees in the UK. At age 35 seems to be a tipping point. The number of those who are unhappy at work more than doubles from before age 35 to after, hitting one-sixth, one in six after age 35. Things get worse for respondents after age 55, with a third saying they feel unappreciated at work and a sixth saying they don't have any friends at work. Wow. There comes a time when you either you haven't achieved success, work has burned you out, or lived experience tells you that family is more important, one workplace researcher says. You ask yourself, what am I doing this for? But in this one survey, doesn't mean it's all bad. Fortune reports on a separate survey that workers in their later stages of their career say their skills are aligned with their work and they have more influence and freedom on the job. So some people are saying they're not happy because they just don't have any friends. I don't want to do this anymore. Other people feel more fulfilled, yeah, because their skills are right, right in line with what needs right. to happen. You got to find, yeah, you got to find your passion. And then finally, it says for those who are unhappy on the job, one expert recommends making an effort to befriend coworkers and refocus on work a work project that can become passion. So go. if your work means something, or if you have a friend at work, yeah. you want to go to work. So yeah. does that include like building a bed under your desk? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a work project. No, totally. And I'm totally passionate about it. All right. I didn't build. I just, I, I just, it appeared. <laughs> Voila, a bed. I looked under my desk and I'm like, ah, I could fit there. <laughs> and finally, Matt Aristotle Burns is the best when it comes to pretending to play guitar. Who? Aristotle Burns? Aristotle Burns. The American successfully defended his title at the 22nd Air Air Guitar World Championships in Finland on Friday after competing in the finals against 15 contestants from South Korea, Pakistan, Sweden, Britain, Canada, and other countries. Burns of Staten Island finished ahead of the runner-up Patrick Earwolf Kulik of Germany and Alexander the Ginger Assassin of Australia, who tied for second place. The Ginger or Ninja? Ginger Assassin. J-I-N-J-A. <laughs> uh, Japan's Me. 15-year-old Shosho placed third, reports yeah. AP. A heavy metal version of I Will Survive helped Burns romp away with the win. Man. In air hmm. guitar. That's good talent, though. Skill. I think the, the air guitar is one of the hardest air instruments to play. Is it? Yeah. It's kind of a wind instrument. But you have to you have to use you have to move your arm a lot. Mm. 
and you're you got to throw your body around. I mean, the air piccolo much easier. Not as popular though. Not as popular. Very rare, but um you know, you don't have to move as much. You can if you're so inclined. So what involves more talent or what what takes more talent? Air guitar or lip syncing? Oh, for sure lip syncing. Really? Yeah. Because it's your mouth, right? And you've Still got the to same look. amount of noise being made though. Right. It's not about the outcome, it's about how well you can sell. I don't know. It just seems harder to sell. Isn't it just impressionist dance at some point? Yeah. But on sync. Mm. In sync, that's a great one, well, too. Couldn't your, speaking of, speaking of uh, lip sync. Couldn't your <laughs> message to your audience of being out of sync, and that be the message, is you're not in sync with the song? Yeah, but then you're just a farce. You're a joke. Hmm. You know? I mean. I mean, this is art. It could be the message is that you are a joke. Yeah. No? That wouldn't fly? I wouldn't say art. It's not art? No. It's dancing. It's something. No? It's air guitar. I think it's a quality activity, something the whole family can enjoy. Yeah. It's. Have you guys ever played um, muted karaoke? No. Every day of my life. You just don't. You just mute the sound, but then you do your own, you do karaoke. Oh. So you just lip sync. I do it the other way. But I, nobody I, knows what you're lip syncing. I do. listen to music. And then they have to guess. I listen to music with no sound coming from me. Oh. That's reverse karaoke. And we appreciate that. It, I think everyone is. <laughs> Did you hear about this lady that went into the emergency room in Bethesda, uh, in Ohio, no, at Liberty Township, Ohio, Bethesda Butler Hospital? She signed in at the reception desk. They put a little tag on her wrist. She was having pain. Then she sat there for 45 minutes. Then the pain subsided. Hmm. So she just, I guess, walked out. And she said, I'm not going to sit here. The pain's gone. So walked out. And she got a bill for $1,000. Because she (gasps) sat in the waiting room? For sitting in the waiting room. Wow. For sitting in their chair in the waiting room. And I never saw anybody, she said. Yeah. She needs to fight it. We're getting a bunch of refunds because we paid our doctor bill ahead of time. But our doctor didn't deliver the baby. So we got that money back. Man. We got like a $3,000 labor charge, but my wife didn't labor at the hospital. Oh, she labored in the taxi. So we are going to get that refunded as are well. Are you going to pay the taxi driver? I was the taxi driver. Was it of the our Solara? No, no, no. Oh, okay, good. good. Was, was there her that's, car? that's leather seats. In yeah, there, I was going to so say. Do that. <laughs> you don't want to ruin those leather seats. <laughs> It was That's her so car, sad. but uh, yeah, no mess. Okay, okay good. Okay, so you yeah. may you you actually you may make you may make money on this baby. <laughs> See, you should write a book. That's the trick. How do you have a kid and make money? How to make money? <laughs> Birthing kids. Yeah. Well, one way is you always do it in the lobby, in the pre-lobby. That's really what it is. You do as much work as you possibly can. Yeah. That's it's, how- it's like home improvement. Do as much as you can. You you do the painting, yeah, all yeah. that. You'll save some money. I thought you meant the show there for a second. No. Well, I was about you. to go, <laughs> um, Before we leave, let's do a little empty news, Jeffrey. Uh, uh, is, it, is it true that, I mean, is Chewbacca back? Apparently people are finding, seeing He might Chewbacca. be. I mean, the actor who, uh, actually, he's not dead. He's just not going to be in the movies anymore. He just retired. So uh, there's this guy dressed as Chewbacca, and he's being charged for bashing a ski resort worker 
at the weekend at or on the weekend at Threadbow, an alpine village and ski resort in the snowy mountains of southeastern Australia. Police say the 51-year-old was dressed in a Star Wars costume and hit a staff member with a snowboard Ooh. multiple times. Wow. The 55-year-old victim was left with facial and dental injuries. Chewy was arrested and charged with using an offensive weapon to commit an indictable offense. Chewy says he was originally told he could. <laughs> That's your impression. I don't know, okay. Chewy. I can't make his. Thing. So this guy was told that he could wear the the costume at the resort, but he became violent when the staff member said. He could not. Ah, okay? Yeah. So that's one crime that was committed wearing a costume. Right. Here's another. Even though Halloween is still more than two months away, uh, it didn't deter three people from donning costumes to shoplift at a southeastern Pennsylvania Walmart. And uh, the police said that one man was dressed as a bull, another donned as a werewolf, <laughs> or uh, he donned a werewolf costume, and the third was disguised as a gorilla when they stole more than $561 in merchandise from Walmart around 1 p.m. Wow. All three were charged with retail theft and conspiracy, while Werewolf and Gorilla Face added charges of fleeing to avoid apprehension. Uh, yeah. Speaking of tacking on charges, yeah. when you commit a crime, those they just start tacking them on left and right. It's like, like, it's, it's oh, like an you, insurance company you're running tacking away. on. A yeah. delivery charge. Yeah. You're running away. That's another charge. Busted. Got it. Oh, you, oh, you didn't tie your shoes? Uh-huh. That's another charge. Oh, sm- talking smack to a cop. <laughs> the smack charge to you. By the way, I would want to be the gorilla. Really? If we're choosing costumes to rob anything, I, I choose the gorilla. Oh, I go werewolf. Well, then that makes that makes Terry's the bull. Quite fitting. That's about right. Yeah. Quite fitting on that one. But, you know... The good news is, for these crooks anyway, that uh, the next time they want to pull something off like this, there's a place they can go. Right. And a lot of people don't know about it. They're one of our sponsors. They're one of the great sponsors of our show. Are you planning to rob a convenience store but are stumped about what to wear? As every crook knows, you only have one chance, approximately four and a half minutes, to make a first impression. So make it a good one. And buy your next disguise at the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job. Come in now and choose from some of our more popular disguises, such as Chewbacca, Deadpool, and the timely Donald Trump mask. Not only will they keep your identity safe, but they also make great conversation starters. So while you're breaking the law, you'll have the perfect outfit to break the ice. The Crook Closet. The store where you can shop first and ask questions later. Have you ever lacked the motivation to go to the gym, go to work, or to clean your house? Or at some point, you know, you notice that this is a really difficult thing to do, and simply because it's difficult, you're no longer motivated to do it. You know, it's not only important to have motivation to do simple tasks or chores daily, but it's also because motivation can be a predictor of educational and professional accomplishment. Here to help us uh, talk about some research on do our challenges help or hurt our motivation is Dr. Daphna Oserman, a professor of psychology from the University of Southern California. And uh, she's here, and we're, we're honored to have you, Daphna. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. So talk about um, 
Talk about how our motivation changes by the difficulty which we're facing. Um, is, that, is that true? So if I'm, if I'm doing something that's really difficult or hard to do, is it that I, I tend to become less motivated to do it simply because it's hard? Yeah, it, it turns out that um, humans are sensitively attuned to experiences of ease and difficulty. And as we go through life, of course, almost everything we do can feel easy or difficult. And we not only experience that ease or difficulty, but we often interpret it. And that interpretation can uh, influence the meaning that we make of it. So if something feels easy, one possibility is to say, oh, this, I can do this. I'm good at this. And then that increases focus, motivation, and engagement with the task. Of course, the alternative is also true. You can say, oh, not worth my time. This is trivial. This is just too easy for me. I shouldn't shift my attention to something else. I shouldn't really pay attention to this. And the same, of course, is true for difficult tasks. Difficulty can send a signal that the odds are low, decreasing certainty that this is really for you, that you should maybe perhaps not waste your time on it because you're going to fail anyway, and you should look for something that you actually can succeed in. Hmm. At the same time, of course, difficult tasks often can be a signal that this is something of value, that it's important, no pain, no gain. Is a, a saying that we commonly use in the, in the domain of sports. We don't really have a parallel for other important life goals, and yet we know that those things are true. That when you invest in something like parenting, like your career, like education, sure, it can feel very difficult at times, but the benefits over the long run can be huge. So sometimes difficulty can or should be interpreted as a signal, this is a value, this is important, I should really lean in and, and work on this. Unbelievable. That really, I mean, it, it kind of makes sense because then all of a sudden, um, if you're in school and you think the homework is too easy, you don't want to do it because, like, we don't even need to do this. This is just nonsense. It's trivial. But if it's too hard, then we can justify it by, like, ah, eh, I don't know if I'll ever need this. This is this is too hard. Um, how do we? Is, is so? Is part of motivation? It's it's not to keep everything. Is it or is it? If I'm trying to motivate another human being to 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 make it not too easy or not too hard. I think that's often a pitfall that teachers fall into. And exactly as you said, uh, you can, as a student, never do your homework because it's either easy, hence too easy, not yeah. worth my time, or difficult, hence really not possible for me, and why should I waste my time? And so rather than trying to uh, figure out how to titrate ease and difficulty, which really in some ways um, is a bottomless pit, it can't really work if if that's the frame that the student has, what teachers would and parents, and we are for ourselves for our own framing, should think about is um, when it's easy, that means it's possible. So, you know, one possibility then is to first say, well, it's easy, let me just do it. And this is often when people have um, guides for organization. They say things like, okay, one touch rule. As it comes in, just do it. It'll clean your desk. Take care of the simple things right away. Um, And that really is a framing of ease as possibility. The same is true for difficulty. Rather than first thinking, oh, you know, can I do this at all? The first thing to do is just to say, okay, this is a challenge. Let me lean in. This probably has value to me. And making that progress often is the thing of value. And if we return to the example of the student, um, when students have that is it too easy, is it too hard frame, then 
teachers will often find those will be the kids who are going to counter-argue. Well, why did you give me 12 math problems? Yeah. 12 is too many. Um, it's really easy. I got the idea after only one. Well, maybe, but that practice of just doing it as it comes in, um, practicing till it's automatic, um, not always worrying about whether it feels too easy or too hard, gives students in some ways the kind of, of sort of life skill that we all need as we engage in tasks that are actually longer, more ambiguous, more filled with uncertainty, which is what happens after it's no longer the 12 math problems, but something like, am I advancing in my career? Am I parenting properly? The kinds of things that don't really have a simple answer. Yeah. In fact, that almost sounds like... Um uh, kind of resiliency skills about, you know, like you said, lean into it. When when you when you start to notice it's a little harder than you may have wanted or expected, uh, don't just even complain about it, but just learn to be resilient. Lean in and do it. Are are the children? Are are we born this way? Are we born you know with a quick, easy uh, means possible, hard means impossible mentality, or is that is that socially constructed? How do we get that? Well, uh, because it's a reality. So if you think about, let's go back in sort of evolutionary time, and let's imagine that we are uh, scavenging for food. So, you know, the uh, ecologist often uses an example, um, birds who are looking for berries in a bush. So you're, you're flying around, and there's a clear cost to flying. You're burning calories. So you need to find food. It's not just because you feel like eating. You actually really need it. So you're, you're looking, and in that bush... You're not finding any berries. If you're not finding any berries, should you shift us to another bush, saying to yourself, okay, odds are low, if birds could talk, odds are low, better move on to something else before I fall out of the sky from you know, burning more calories than I've got? Um, or should I look more carefully? And really, both strategies could be true. Mm. And what, what happens from an evolutionary perspective, what happens to us is that we get a, a, a chronic set point as to which to try first. So if you're in a resource-rich context, the thing you should always try first is the no pay, no gain. You know, look harder, try more. Um, if you're in a resource-poor environment, then you should be first shifting, saying, okay, probably, you know, odds are there's nothing here, move to something else. So it's not that... The, the no pain, no gain, the difficulty means importance, uh, ease means possibility frame is always the correct one. It's just that in our, in our lives, in our situations, we probably underutilize it. Hmm. And we probably overutilize the alternative, which means that we are actually missing on opportunities that had we invested more, had we really uh, engaged with, we would have reaped benefits from. So... It's not that one is the correct one and the other is the, is the incorrect one. It's that we need both because the reality is sometimes the odds are low. Sometimes we should shift to something else. But potentially that shouldn't be the first thing because investing often actually reaps more benefits than meets the eye. Yeah, interesting. Because, and, and yeah, shifting too easily, too quickly and always, yeah, you, you wouldn't be able to dig into some of the richer parts of life. Exactly. And so sometimes parents have a gut feeling for that, and they'll say to their kids who've signed up for whatever, piano, ice hockey, and then after a few weeks say, you know, this is boring. All we're doing is drills. All we're doing is, you know, scales. There's no game. There's no fun. There's no music. Parents sometimes have a gut feeling for that and say to their kids, well, 
stick it out. You know, let's make a deal. Finish this, you know, this course, and then later you can decide if you've if if it's worth it. Because that initial push in the beginning, you may feel that it's all pain and no gain. It's so true. I I was the whole time I was thinking about yeah, like piano lessons. Um, there is this fine line, and yet it's funny, Daphne. Most of us have never thought of it the way you're explaining to us about motivation. Is it time to move on and find another tree with with some more fruit or berries on it, or do we just need to dig deeper? But as I guess, as as educators or as as anybody trying to motivate another person, um, I, I guess we could also create conditions that make it at least appear like there's more fruit. Sure, to make it appear like there's more fruit, or or basically to to say, you know, I I need to um, potentially trust that that there might be more. And of course, there's the 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 edges of that would be if you're in a in a situation where um, you have no choice in control and your efforts are unlikely to matter, um, then you may need to conserve your resources mm. for something else. Um, and luckily, most of us are not, you know, raising our children in those contexts. But, but in fact, the research that we've done has suggested a, a small but significant negative correlation between things like uh, poverty and um, low education, so not finishing high school, and having a higher chronic sense that when it's difficult, it means it's impossible. Yeah. And, and we're assuming that that's because the reality of contexts like that is such. So, you know, if you didn't finish high school, the kinds of jobs you can get um, often don't give you much choice and control. So the boss says, come today, don't come today. It's hard to plan for how much money you're going to have at the end of the month. It's hard to plan for when you're going to need child care, those kinds of things. So um, there are things that we can do that increase our odds of having choice and control. But when you are in those situations where you don't, just focusing on the sort of the you know when difficulty means importance may be maybe counterproductive. Hmm. Does this does this get into the theory too of sunk cost theory where we you know I've already invested all this time on this tree I've already been looking I don't want to give up now and not get the berry I mean a lot of people stay in their jobs because they've already been in their jobs ten years and even if it's not paying off even if it doesn't motivate them. They they seem to still stay sometimes because of just the time they've invested. Mm-hmm. That's that's I think a really nice example of the opposite. So yes, you should invest, but then at some point, um, if the investment really is not paying off, maybe at that point it it would be useful to say, you know, the odds of things suddenly turning around are very low. So maybe I should shift to something else, and I can find an, an alternative. Hmm. Where do you where do you um, do you see a difference in this paradigm based on income or based on opportunity? Um, does this happen at, at one – like you were, you were bringing up teenager jobs. Is it different there than it might be in a, in a uh, you know, more professional setting where somebody has gone through med school? Sure. So, so actually, the, the, I wasn't thinking of teenager jobs. The not finished high school uh, data, that, that's from adults. So, okay. Uh, you know, f- for adults, of course, most – in, in the U.S., uh, most people f- do finish high school, but not everyone does. And failure to, to get sufficient education puts you at higher risk of being in the kinds of contexts where uh, choice and control is, um, is low. Um, interestingly, um, in, in our initial set of studies, we did find 
that uh, people with high education, so, uh, you know, beyond college, beyond, uh, a, you know, a, a BA, a, a professional degree, um, are slightly more likely to uh, have as their go-to interpretation that difficulty means importance. Hmm. Um, however, that... Um, we, we found that uh, when we, our first set of studies with 1,000 uh, adult participants, American adults, uh, using an Internet-based sample. Um, since then, we've done uh, follow-up studies with a few thousand more participants, and the uh, stable associations that we found, as I said, was that negative association, um, but with, particularly with income. So when you're uh, very low in income, it's easier to... Um, uh, make sense of the world in terms of odds being low. So difficulty means that the odds are low, that it might be impossible. Hmm. Yeah. The other thing that we found is that uh, subjective social status matters. So if I experience the world as being on the bottom rather than the middle or the top of the ladder, that way of making sense of the world means that I don't feel that I have much choice and control. And that feeling is associated with income and education, but it's not the same as that. So it's more like a, a feeling that a person has rather than something objective about them. Hmm. Is, as parents, do we um, – I mean, I, I guess if I grew up in, in a professional situation and I see difficulty as, uh, as meaning more important, do I end up handing that down to my kids? I think there are many ways that we do that in terms of both our parenting practices and what children see uh, parents is doing. So, you know, the dinner table conversation, the way life is organized. So um, if parents really don't have much choice and control in their life and they have to hustle their children, I'm sorry, you know, I promised we were going to do this today, but I can't, got to go to work. Um, boss called me and I can't say no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that gives you this sort of sense that, that, that the, the vagaries of life, um, even, you know, even grownups can't control. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the opposite is also true. You know, parents who are able to have, have structures, be able to, you know, not promise things that they, that they can't deliver, give children a sense that there is an order, that you can make these kinds of predictions, which then allows you to say, okay, you know, when it's difficult, I should, you know, my first choice might be to invest and see whether, in fact, I can get something out of it. And, of course, that is a long-term strategy. Um, in the end, often is a, is a better thing to do. Yeah. We're speaking with Dr. Daphne Osterman. She's currently a dean's professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Southern California. And we are discussing her research on do challenges help or hurt our motivation and really how we choose to uh, how we choose to move on, how we choose to stay and keep working on a project or, or a difficult task. We will continue the journey straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Daphna Osterman is joining us. She's currently a dean's professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Southern California. Her research examines how small changes in context can shift our mindsets, even something as simple or as small as something being easy. If we see something as easy, then in our head we think possible and uh, we it might impact our motivation. Or if it's hard, we might see it as impossible. Daphna, again, thank you for your time and being with us. Thank you for having me. How do we... Um, how are some ways that we should look at this with our children as far as motivating our kids to do difficult tasks, um, but also, you know, not making sure they can also learn how to select when it's time to move on and, and, and choose a better goal or a different goal? So one of the things that we did um, in thinking about that is to say what would be, uh, particularly in school, which is where much of the research has been done, what would be the kinds of activities that a teacher could do or a parent could do, uh, for that matter, with with kids to to sort of um, give them the tools that they would feel rather than your parent telling you or your teacher telling you this is how you should think, that you would have the kinds of experiences that would structure those feelings up. And so one of the things we thought about is that for children, and, and for all of us too, but definitely during childhood, the future adulthood is actually quite far away. Yeah. When things are far, they're less certain. That's just reality. If you think about perception, when you look at something that's very far away, you don't see it in much detail. As it gets closer, it gets more clear. You see it in more detail. So if, if the things that you are imagining for yourself in the future are far away, then they're going to be uncertain it's going to be less clear uh, how to get there, whether it'll happen, what's going to be. And that's not necessarily a problem. It's just, it's reality. Moreover, the farther things are away, the more we have to think about potential uh, choices that, we, that may differ along the way, obstacles that may occur, uh, things that may turn out differently than we had expected. And so I thought about those things and I said, well, those aren't necessarily problems, but they are things that we need to think about because the farther something is away, uh, the lower the probability that it will actually happen, which means that uh, a go-to prediction for things that are really far is A, that they'll be uncertain, B, that the odds may be low, and potentially they, they may not happen. There may be obstacles not of your choice along the way. Interesting. And so what we, what we developed was a series of activities to help students, help teachers work with students to think about uh, that far future, but then make the future feel closer and closer by thinking about steps that can be taken right now, strategies that can be used right now, ways of imagining a timeline to the future that's not linear, like we think about when we draw a timeline about you know, discoveries in science or things like that that are about the past that has already happened. But if we think about a timeline to the future, there need to be forks in the road, so you know, choices will lead to different outcomes. And there need to be some roadblocks, some obstacles, where you think about ways around them rather than just imagining that either there won't be roadblocks, leaving you quite surprised when there are, or um, assuming that if there's a roadblock, then you should just quit. And these are ways in which, without giving a little speech saying, hey, when it's difficult, it's important, get going, um, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, as we know, if it was that simple, um, all of us would be perfect because we deliver all sorts of speeches to ourselves in the mirror in the morning. Right. Um, so, you know, that's really what we, what we have done. And, and we actually documented that that does change not only students' perceptions, but importantly, their grades 
both you, from school records and standardized test scores over, over time. The first test of this was in Detroit, and we're currently uh, following up in Chicago uh, where we've taught public school teachers to deliver these activities, and we found that, that teachers can do this even with very brief training of just a few days and can then teach the next generation of teachers so that this is sustainable over time. Is it true? Because it seems like if 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 the long distant future is kind of it's so uh, nebulous for us we can't see with clarity but by chunking it down into pieces little goals that we need to do today could we also not chunk down the activity to make it so simple that it seems doable as well yep that's so, you you exactly got it as it the closer it is the more certain it is uh, and the more doable it is. And this is probably why uh, various methods that, that you know, people who have thought about efficiency and so forth often talk about those things. Um, and, and really the insight here is, you know, well, why am I doing it? And once you've thought about it in that way, it's, you know, it's not just I'm doing it because it's on my plate. I'm doing it because it's a step along the way in, toward the path toward my future, toward the, the, the academic huh. or, or family or, or career goals that I have. It's, it's why I, when I ask my 22-year-old what he wants to be when he grows up, he has a lot more motivation and context than when I ask my 12-year-old and his eyes glaze over like, I don't know. That's true. I had one, one colleague uh, said to me that his 12-year-old son uh, told him that he always tells him that he'll you know, play ball with him or do something with him tomorrow. So his 12-year-old said to him, but dad, it's always today, it's never tomorrow. Mm. And so getting going now is, is actually, you know, a skill that we don't always have. Yeah. What would you do to um, using the research, Daphna, that you've been working on? If I have a child, uh, let's say a teenager, a 14-year-old that is giving up on his homework too easily, and really it's something that we need to do, we need to get through this, um, how would you go about motivating that child? Well, that's a really interesting question, and I think the, the, the key thing to think about is that it's not about the homework. Sometimes we forget that uh, it's not about the homework, it's not about getting an A, it's not about finishing high school, it's not even about getting to college or finishing college. It's about uh, those things as being steps along the way toward the, the larger goals that we have in terms of having a life that um, has the, the, the profile, the characters that, that we would want, whether that is a career or family or uh, giving back to community. And, and these are really steps along the way. This, this is really uh, paving the path to get there. Mm. So uh, the homework itself, your 12-year-old is absolutely right. You know, his, his 32-year-old self won't remember or care whether he did or did not memorize the spelling words for Friday. <laughs> but... If every Friday the spelling words aren't memorized, in the end, that's a big problem. So it's, it, both things can be true at the same time. Any one moment is redoable tomorrow. The problem is, as that 12-year-old said to his dad, it's always today and never tomorrow. So it's necessary to get going now, or that tomorrow won't be what we had hoped for. Yeah. And it, um, and I guess too, and, and to become more and more resilient and more, I guess, adaptable to uh, these different situations. Otherwise, they become daunting. I mean, you could see how this this itself could induce a lot of anxiety or like decision fatigue because you don't you don't know what's important anymore. Sure. So instead of having to make those monumental decisions each time, 
just getting going, just thinking about it as, well, right now, this is what I need to do. Um, when you think about it, let's uh, give a different, different frame on that. Um, when you look at your, at your daily planner, whether it's on your smartphone or on paper or on, on your you know, calendar, on your refrigerator, whatever you have listed for today, that you're definitely going to do. The things that by Friday need to happen, tomorrow you can start working on them. Hmm. So, so part of the, the, the thing that we can do for our children and for ourselves is to make digital goals feel eminent, feel close so that today I need to start working on them. That's how we end up saving enough for retirement, for our children's college education, uh, not because we know that in, in 18 years we're going to need an enormous amount of money, which is overwhelming and hence paralyzing, but rather because today we put something aside. Hmm. Yeah. Man, you make it sound so simple, Daphna. Daphna Osterman is her name. Again, uh, Dr. Daphna Osterman is is currently a dean's professor in the Department of Psychology at the University of Southern California and also uh, has written a wonderful article, uh, Do Challenges Make Schools Seem Impossible or Worthwhile? Wonderful article on theconversation.com. Again, uh, Motivation 101. It's interesting how it's, it's constantly in flux and really how important it is for each and every one of us. Even as we are you know, workers and employees, do you feel motivated? Because if not, uh, what lessons are you teaching your children about motivation? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to continue the journey. Up next, uh, we'll be doing uh, some more empty news for you, helping you uh, be the good in the world. So what do you do when somebody knocks on your door asking if they can go look on your deck or your balcony and uh, you're like, well, yeah, why? And she says, because I lost my teeth. I'd say it's a scam. It's a scam. He's just trying to get in your house. (laughs) Well, uh, Jess got some empty news where this actually took place in Germany, southern Germany. Yeah. So in southern Germany, uh, police were alerted after a man buzzed on the door and asked for permission to search this woman's balcony for for his false teeth. Yeah. Just like you said. Police reported that an interrogation of the 56-year-old man soon showed that his unusual request was sincere. He said he had visited a friend living a few floors (laughs) above the woman and lost his dentures while sitting on the friend's balcony. Police say the man's dentures had fallen off the balcony and he was simply trying to track down his much-needed teeth. Well, you would think she'd be able to tell. Yeah. He's missing his teeth. Exactly, right? Like, (laughs) I'm not lying, Um, but with a German accent. Yeah. So anyway, luckily, uh, you know, what he should have done is he should have called our sponsor on this. I mean, a lot of people don't know that there are devices, there are companies out there that can help you track down your, your, uh, your dentures. We all know that for over 10 years, Diddy Dental has been improving self-esteem by giving customers grilled smiles that say, Look at me, I'd like some attention. But did you know that Diddy Dental also makes dentures? Dentures that say, Look at me, I told you I still have all my teeth. But what happens when your dentures go missing? That's where the denture accessory experts at Diddy Dental come in. Introducing the Chomper Beeper, one of the many products from the new Tooth Sleuth line by Diddy Dental. All of Diddy Dental's dentures are installed with sensors that detect signals from a keychain beeper. And with the simple press of a button, the Chomper Beeper will find your teeth 
as long as they are located within 500 yards. Amazing! Just hear what one of Diddy Dental's satisfied customers has to say about the chomper beeper. The other night, I couldn't find my dentures, so I pushed the button on the keychain and was able to find them in seconds. Turns out they were in my mouth the whole time. I just couldn't feel them because I had a big chunk of bread stuck over my teeth. Thank you, Chomper Beeper. Chomper Beepers by Diddy Dental. We're bringing dentures back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Holy cow, this just in. Floyd Mayweather made a lot of money. Floyd Money Mayweather. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Ah, Floyd Money Mayweather <laughs> made a lot of money in uh, in that last bout with McGregor. We'll get to the numbers there. Unbelievable! Just the clothes he wore into the ring, right? I mean, that's that's crazy. You just mean from the sponsorship? Yeah, just yeah. having the, as their name on his waistband. Yeah, brought him from the front and the back of his waistband. $5.5 million. What? I mean, but if you watch a, a boxing match, yeah, right? You you watch it, there's a lot of their backs turn, they're turn, you know, they're moving right. around, but right. every time they move, that's what you see is their their waistband is right there, so they put like advertising there and they make some money that way. The the side seams on Floyd Mayweather's shorts, trunks, what do they call them? Boxing trunks. trunks. Yeah. Um 3.5 million dollars on the side seams. And uh, the rear center of his trunks, three million dollars. Are any of the fighting moves then are the are they staged by the sponsors? Ooh. Yeah, he's always like moving his waist yeah. more toward the. I'm not sure, not sure. <laughs> but a or total they pay of... off the cameramen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, who knows? Floyd Mayweather is expected to collect upwards of nineteen point five million dollars just for the attire and the sponsorship that he had that he was wearing. That's amazing, and he didn't even have a shirt on. Maybe no. he should have been boxing in a shirt. He could have made $40, $50 million. Should have tattooed some sponsors on there. Yeah, maybe they don't let him yeah. wear a shirt. I so don't know. he was ripped, by the way. Reminds me of myself in high school days. Mm. You're wrong. Yeah, there okay. we go. Hey, uh, how much did he make for the actual fight? $200 million for what? What? No. Yeah. McGregor won oh $100 million yeah. just showing up. Yeah, he lost, got $100 million. I mean, and sure, he'll have a hard time the rest of his life standing. No, he'll be fine. <laughs> I mean, talk about CTE. Oh, like, yeah. He just... Let's give our opponent a concussion. That's really the goal. Boy. So how many people watch this thing? They don't know yet. I think they uh, said hundreds of billions of people. The numbers hmm. will come in in the next couple of days, but they had problems with... The street, there was a, a streaming server in California and another one in Florida that crashed right before their fight. Oh, I so they read had that. To hold yeah. everything for about 10, 15 minutes, let everything reboot. Did they really? Yeah. My son went to, <laughs> I didn't see the fight. My son went to a friend's either. house, saw the fight, and in the fight, it started a fight with his friends. Ooh. And they started punching each other. Wow. They didn't even get paid, I not know. even a million for they that one. They didn't get paid anything. Was there and a. Parents had to get involved. I mean, it was. It was intense. Did it have to go to the judges? Was it a knockout? No, nah, it was a, it was a pr- pretty clear. Okay, I quit. Was it like for quit the friends? E- gotcha. Quit eating my nachos. Ooh, yeah. Get your finger out of my nacho dip. It's all about the nachos. 
Ah, uh, yes. Those were the days. Holy cow. A big fight. Uh, by the way, um, thoughts and prayers go out to the people of Houston. I mean, it's not even – It's this isn't even subsiding. This is just no. day three. And the, the storm's going to loop, but they think it come back to Houston in, on Wednesday. So. Give us a weather update. I know you were talking last week. We laughed a little bit about your um, your pressure, high pressure, low pressure talk, but that's what has stalled – the hurricane basically on land dropping right. so far 11 trillion gallons of water in rain. Initially, there was a high-pressure system over the west. Yeah. And then a high-pressure system around Florida. And then Harvey gets caught in the middle. Oh, Harvey. And so instead of – in the past, I've, when I've watched this, you, you watch the storm hit and then it just keeps kind of flowing north yeah. and goes east and moves out over the Atlantic. Up, yeah. And instead, and then you hear about like storms in Ohio in a couple mm-hmm. days. This is going to sit right over the top of Houston for pretty much most of the week, and just keep pouring rain down. Yeah, and then it circles out over the water. And oh, comes and picks back up and, more rain, yeah, yeah, picks yeah. up more water, and then just dumps it. There'll be more alligators in people's driveways. It'll be great. By the way, yeah, there you we again joked about that last hour. You got to watch out for alligators. But there's footage you found some uh, a picture some of photos online. Some uh, it was the uh, Houston area animal control. Service and they're like, hey, don't mess with the alligators. Just let them let them hang out. Yeah. Let them leave. There's fire ants everywhere because they're all trying to get out of the water. Oh, Bats. Fire ants are heading. So if you have a home up on a tiny hill or a ridge, you're fine. Except all the fire ants, all the frogs, all the crocs are coming up. They all just want to hang out at your house. And what if you're stuck? I mean, think of just the millions of people that just can't go anywhere. Right. And hopefully you have food. Hopefully you. Well. You, you can have an evacuation order, then people can decide to do with, you know, you you don't have to leave. Right. They can say it's mandatory, but they don't, they're not going to come arrest you and haul you out. But there's some people that have no means of getting out. Mm-hmm. And when public transportation shuts down, they don't have a car. Yeah. So how are they supposed to leave? Yeah. If you live in a city and, yeah, you don't have a car and the, the buses are gone. And that's when we have people showing up from other areas of Texas with their boats. They're just going to go drive around and pick people up because that's what you, you do. Is that why you see so many people on the roof of their home? They were telling them, don't go to the top floor of your house, go to the roof of your house. Because they, yeah. they go on the top floor and they get stuck and then you don't have the opportunity to get out on yeah, your you roof. Yeah, you can't so get out to the roof. Now get on your roof. Uh, and then don't use, a lot of people were putting like requests for help on Snapchat. Yeah, because all and, that's going to go to is a teenager in yeah, the neighborhood. Yeah, the, the, the federal people <laughs> and the state and local, they're like, we don't – Snapchat doesn't yeah. work that way. Twitter to, is where yeah. they're, they're – Tweet something, Facebook, yeah. directly at us, and we can come find you. But then they're saying don't rely – the Coast Guard is like, don't just throw it on social media and expect people to show up. Yeah. Unbelievable. But the phones are out, so it's uh, – I don't know. It becomes such a problem. <sighs> they need your prayers, folks. They need your uh, donations to the Red Cross – do what you can. Boy, oh boy. Well, what do you do? In fact, uh, we'll talk later with BYU Sports Nation about how this is going to maybe alter where BYU plays their game. Uh, I don't know if they've made that decision yet. I haven't but seen it, anything as of yet, but they're feeling probably it will. Except, and the, even if it cleared up, it would be so good for them to get the revenues from that kind of a game or something. But honestly, 
you're trying to drag all those people into How that you, region yeah. to watch a football game. It's not worth the hassle. I mean, you don't even think about that. Think of just the money lost, mm-hmm. the business shutdowns, and the oil uh, prices are, that are going to change for gas and fuel because the refineries in that area. Well, again, crazy, crazy stuff. We will uh, continue to update you on that. Uh, as far as this hour is concerned, we'll turn it over to Terry in a minute to do some headlines. Also, we'll get some more uh what do we call them? Just empty headlines. MT. Matt Townsend. MT. Not empty. Everyone always thinks they're empty, like there's nothing there. But there's – it's meaty. Well, when they okay. hear it, they might think that's the case. Hmm. Hmm. You'd think that you'd stick up for it more. <laughs> hey, these weren't my words. Okay. We'll get to all of that straight ahead plus BYU Sports Nation and a hero story. Right here on the Matt Townsend Show, let's get to Terry. Terry, what's going on around the country we should be paying attention to? Head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency said his agency is already gearing up for a years-long effort to help Texas recover from the damage wrought by Hurricane Harvey. FEMA is going to be there for years, Administrator Brock Long said on CNN yesterday. He added, this disaster is going to be a landmark event. In a news conference earlier this morning... Uh, FEMA said that uh, Tropical Storm Harvey will likely drive at least 30,000 people into temporary shelters. More than 30 inches of rain has fallen in parts of Houston and Harris County since Saturday, mm. and some areas are expected to get up to 50 inches total for the week, exceeding the average rainfall for the city of Houston. Yeah, for like 10 million years. Possibly. So that's going to be uh, ongoing all week down there. Crazy. Uh, for uh, Of course, President Trump's going to visit tomorrow. And then ongoing from there. So, Good. Uh, for John Luckabee, the scars of, on his wrists are a reminder of the years he spent in mental purgatory. He returned from the Army deployment in Iraq a broken man. He heard, a mor- he heard mortar shells and helicopters where there were none. He couldn't sleep and drank until he passed out. He got every treatment offered by Veterans Affairs for post-traumatic stress disorder, but they didn't stop him from trying to kill himself five times. Oh, boy. So he's in a bad situation. Yeah. He says, finally, he signed up for an experimental therapy and was given a little green capsule. The anguish stopped. Inside that pill was a compound named MDMA, better known for dealers and rave partygoers as ecstasy. So ecstasy helped clear out his head. The street drug is emerging as the most prominent tool to come along in years for the military's escalating PTSD epidemic. Holy cow. So the MDMA program was created by a small group of psychedelic researchers who had toiled for years in the face of ridicule, funding shortages, and skepticism. But the results have been so positive that this month the Food and Drug Administration deemed it a breakthrough therapy. How how cool, really, for PTSD, like so now, finally something. A fast track for review and potential approval is in the future for MDMA, but well, ecstasy. And, well, now every street dealer is like, sweet, we've hit it. We've hit it, boys. <laughs> and that, We're going to be millionaires. There becomes a regulatory issue there when yeah. it's on the street, well, but it's also... And what happens when like the big drug companies are like, okay, we'll take this over. Well, they've probably been making it for years. Yeah. Hey, 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 hey. Oh, hey. sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. Conspiracy theories. Yeah. Multiple consumer surveys and academic studies have recently found that at least when it comes to looking for a, pos- a prospective partner, one's credit score is hugely important. Really? This was in Bloomberg News. Okay. One new survey from a, a parent of dating sites like Tinder, so the company that runs Tinder, uh, finds that 69% of 2,000 online daters surveyed ranked financial stability as very or extremely important. Hold it. Yeah. Tinder yeah. has a picture of a woman, and <laughs> then you just swipe right or left if you think she's attractive. Right. But they surveyed a bunch of people who use that app, well, probably through an email. Then they, what they ought to do is have um, have your, your bank account come up. 
Right. And, oh, I like that bank account. <laughs> That's a, That's good a bank total account. ride for me. So it says putting it slightly ahead of humor. So your financial stability, extremely important. That's ahead of humor, well ahead of attractiveness, ambition, courage, modesty. And uh, so this is all in a press release. But wow. yeah. So it says if you have a pretty good credit score, you'll probably have other good personality traits, the researchers say. That single number can speak to how responsible and dependable a person is. They go, they go as far as to call it an honest indicator of who you really are. Our Darwinian mechanism for measuring your reproductive ability. Whoa. Yeah, no. yeah. Sure enough, another study <laughs> finds that... <laughs> really? Sorry. Sure enough, another study finds that people with better credit are better at maintaining relationships and that further apart a couple's credit scores are, the greater their chance of separating. Okay. This is cool information. Yeah. Just, you... I just wish it wasn't coming from Tinder. Not to be rude. <laughs> it's the company that runs Tinder. They run several different websites. I know. Yeah. That's my, my point is still, though, that the only reason I even know anything about this woman is because I objectified her, found her beautiful, and I right-swiped her. Well, yeah. <laughs> All this other stuff I found out later. Like, I, none of it mattered because This might be more of a, a Match.com situation. Okay. Maybe one of these more in-depth analysis okay, of the good. person. Not Tinder. Tinder's, I, I can't know. get it out of my head. They have multiple different apps. <sighs> and finally, a novel called Handbook for Mortals has a very, had a very brief reign atop the New York Times bestseller list. The paper confirmed Friday that it had pulled Lonnie Serum's book from its young adult hardcover list for September 3rd because of inconsistencies in the report, reporting of sales. The announcement came... On, uh, after online complaints that the handbook for mortals had benefited from so-called bulk sales Ooh. when hundreds of thousands of copies are ordered by a single buyer. Mm. Yeah. Mm. At they, Costco. They, they buy a That's bunch of That's how you become copies, a national bestseller. And then all of a sudden your numbers are through the roof and they've gamed the bestseller list. Yeah. And it says the novel's popularity seemed highly selective. It ranked number uh, 34,765 on Amazon.com as of Friday afternoon when it was number <laughs> one on the New York Times list. How strange. That's really odd. It says uh, it's uh, recorded enough sales. So they're saying it came from independent stores, reached number two on the American Booksellers Association Young Adult List. Spokesman for the ABA, a trade group representing thousands of independent sellers, says the association was reviewing the book ranking. So there was independent sales. There were some people like yeah. of note who were out there on social media promoting this. And then it didn't have the the, the, the tracking on Amazon, the thirty four thousand, right? But it was number one young book, young, right. young adult books, and so the, it didn't look consistent. So New York Times took it off. Looks like there was some uh, shena- shenanigans. Handbook for mortals. I'm a New York Grimes uh, bestseller. Grimes? Uh huh. What's that? Just it's it's the New York Grimes bestseller. Okay. It's New York Grimes. Where do we find that? New York Grimes. Okay. Com. All right. Well, mm-hmm. it's not the same thing, though. No. Okay. It just sounds like Times, but it's kind of more Grimes. When's your next book? Uh, I'm I'm trying to write uh, uh, two books right now. This site can't be reached. It ah, says blasted. Oh, New York Grimes. You looked it up. Yeah. Well. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it used to be reachable. Yeah. Well, inconsistent. Uh, I'm a favorite. Uh, my book's a favorite read at the uh, Townsend family reunion. Well. Starved stuff? Mm-hmm. Starved stuff. Like, not everybody knows an author. No. So when you walk in and say you wrote a book, people go, oh, wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. People at my uh, high school reunion were like, I listen to your show every Saturday. 
Um, Saturday? But they're not. They're thinking of my old show back five and a half years ago when I was on every Saturday. Gotcha. I mean, I think they still do a replay of our show. They used to do a replay of our show. but Here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We do every Saturday. I love it when you take callers. And in my head, I'm like, we don't take callers. So you're talking about a show that is five years old. But I listen to it every Saturday. (laughs) Appreciate it. That, that's you see that person, you think, what do I know about them? Yeah, you're like, oh right, and the last and the, it confirms to you the last thought they had about that's you right. was five years ago. That's exactly right. Again, why do you go to these high school gatherings? Well, I like to go to the high school reunion to feel better about myself in relation to everyone else. Can't you feel better hmm. without the high school reunion? No, no, you must have that to, to boost yeah. yourself above mm-hmm. others. Absolutely. Then you were the MC. And I was the MC. And so, had, how much do they pay you for that again? Uh, I did nothing. You, you still paid to get in. I still paid for my. Meal. Did you get the Merryweather money? No, no. So you paid to get in, but then you worked the event. Yeah. Hmm. So you, I got. Ripped. I'm sure everybody was looking at you, saying, "Wow, at least I'm not that guy." So financial matters weren't his strong suit. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Uh, it was a hard day. Yeah. And yeah, it was hard. But you know what? I was there to serve. And you got some, you know, cordon bleu that they thought out in the kitchen. And I didn't get any. It was a really good meal, by the way. And you got to see your lunch lady again. Oh, she looked Glad great. Doing great. How's she's Gladys? great. She's great. She's great. She had her hip redone. Mm. But uh, she still has that beautiful blue hair. <laughs> Love her. And those, those, those big oversized plastic gloves she wears. They're how not do you even want rubber. Your, how do you want your cotton blue? <laughs> she had honey. that little mole, that little. They always call you honey. Yeah. Hey, sweetie, keep the line moving. <laughs> T- Try the chocolate milk. <laughs> sounded oh. like Mo Sislak <laughs> from I The did. Simpsons. There, and I'm like, that sounded like Mo. Anywho, we got a lot to straight ahead. Kim Giles will be joining us. Why relationship skills might be your most important skills. I totally agree. You got to learn to relate, folks, or. You won't even be able to go back to your high school reunion. Ah, so much straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Kim Giles is in the studio with us. Kim is uh, the president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching and a popular life coach, author, and speaker. Um, also, one of our great friends on the show, one of the great contributors we have her on about every other week. Today, she's talking about why relationship skills might be your most important skills in life. Yeah. I totally agree. I believe that. I mean, really, when you think about it, what what – what impacts you more, what hurts you more, what lifts you more, what brings you more joy than people. And if you don't have those skills, you lose the people. Yeah, really. They, they've done studies recently that have said that employers care more about your people skills than they do your education or your technical skills. Because yeah. they can teach you some of that. But if you're bad with people, that's hard, to, hard for them to fix. And, and think about – your happiness and success, not only at work but at home, right. all of it is dependent on how well you do people interactions. Plus, one of the things – so I'm a, uh, I'm a social psychologist. But one of the things I've learned is every – all of your meaning is created through your interaction. So how you talk, how you have talked, how you've interacted on things determines what your symbols are. And if you mm. interact negatively on everything – 
then your symbols start to turn negative. So money, sex, kids, marriage, those are all just symbols of what's going on in your marriage. And if you always are negatively interacting, those symbols start to turn ugly, negative. And then your whole life's just miserable. Then what? Right? Total misery. So we need we need to make sure we focus on the right skills and make sure we have the right relationships. Yeah, and this is really the problem, Matt, because a lot of us came from families where our parents didn't have, I want to say, high levels of emotional intelligence, yeah. right? Was, yeah. and, and they were in the shallow end of the emotional intelligence right, pool. Right, yeah. right? So they didn't handle stress well. No. They weren't emotionally resilient. They were reactive. Right. And they had a lot of fighting and conflict in relationships. So they were your teachers, yeah, right? And and unfortunately, they don't teach relationship skills in school. I wish they would. Oh, don't you wish they would? Right? It totally. should be taught every year from kindergarten to a master's degree. You should have classes on how do I get along with people. Oh. It'd help you more than anything well, else. And don't you think that would be one of the great classes that every one of our children should be taking? Oh, yeah. Like put the phone down and learn to interact with humans. <laughs> class but we don't we, maybe now I think more we than assume ever. these are going to be transferred just through life yeah and it's a false assumption because yeah. they usually aren't so what do you do if you grew up in a family like that and you know that you're struggling in all your relationships I mean where do you go what do you do you start grounding people <laughs> well, as a parent that's what I do now is I ground my children you guys better learn how to do this it, it really makes it because then you don't parent well, and then they learn the ineffective pattern, and then and you just keep generationally on. handing it down. So yeah. what do you do? What would you recommend? Well, there's actually tons of resources. And tons of skills. Out there, yeah. right? There's tons of things you can do to help, but you're actually first going to have to own that maybe you need some help in this area. And I think that's the biggest hurdle because most people yeah. think if I go get help, that means I wasn't good enough already and they can't – their self-esteem no, can't handle that. They're already broken, right. So it's better to stay in this horrible behavior but believe that I'm good enough than it is to get help and actually make your life better. People, so really, it, we have the same value as human beings and and we all need help and to work on ourselves. There's not a human being on the planet that couldn't do some work including oh, you so and me. so true. Right? Absolutely. That's what that. my wife says every day. <laughs> Go work on this, pal. I know. So true. My husband will say, remember what you teach every day? Oh, <laughs> Don't you love crap. it when they bring that up? Like, you're oh, right. now you're listening to my stuff? Yeah. <laughs> now you now want me to I'm go do it? I'm not doing it. So Shoot. True. <laughs> so true. Okay. So we all have to own that we need to do some work and we might need some help. And you want to get help sooner than later. Yeah. Right? You and I always talk about the couples that are, I mean, they they have waited until so many hurtful things have been said and done that it's so hard to fix. <laughs> Where if you would have come to us at the beginning. We, we could have helped you so much easier. Yeah, the first sign of trouble. So don't wait. Reach out. Matt and I are both here. There's lots of great coaches and counselors all around Get that the, can yeah. help. Get, and, and, and really – because what you could do, too, is start focusing on where you're noticing the pain, right? Because a lot of people don't even notice they're having a problem until it's, like, swollen and infected. So if if we could start to see, okay, maybe – like, I just had a couple come in preventatively. They, they're a mar- they are second marriages, and they're thinking – we don't have big issues yet, but we have potential for big issues, and we know we don't know how to talk about high conflict, big ish, big mm. conflicted issues. So, um, can you help us learn that before we oh, actually have cool. an issue? 
It was really awesome. I'm like, brilliant. That's smart. Yeah, let's so let's smart. start teaching you that. Especially second marriages are so yeah. hard. Blending families is so challenging. And right. Yeah. If you're moving into that adventure, get get some outside. Get it. Upskill, right? Upskill. Totally. So I do have a few kind of hints and ideas about what you can work on to make your relationship skills better. You know, the biggest thing I think is in the way of us interacting better with other people is our fears about Mm. ourselves. So if you have a lot of insecurities and you're afraid you're not good enough and you often feel that put down. Yeah, they're judging you. That they're Criticized. And if you have an easy trigger to feel put down, criticized, or insulted by other people and you find yourself hurt a lot or offended – this is the number one thing hmm. that you've got to work on is your own self-esteem issues. Yeah. Don't you think totally. – I mean it's it's the biggest thing you could do for your marriage Yeah, is work on your own self-esteem issues. But that goes back to the bigger issue that – well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't react this way if they hadn't said that thing. Yeah. So, so one of the keys, them. I guess you have to work – you have to assume it's you. You do. You, you have to assume it's you and work on you because you don't have any control no. over them. That's right. You as the only person you have so control over. So if you're reacting, over. control your reaction. Absolutely. Matter of fact, you and I both – I know we've talked about how we prefer to talk to people without their spouse there yeah. up front because it's all finger pointing. Oh. And if both of you are pointing fingers, you're not going to get anywhere. So you got to work on your own stuff. Yeah. you got to work on your self-esteem issues. Um. You know, at Clarity Point, we're big believers that if we could get you to understand that your value as a human being is not in question and that it can't be diminished, that takes this big burden off your spouse because most of us have made it our spouse's responsibility to make Mm. us feel good about ourselves. Right, right. And we can't do that. It's impossible and they'll fail at it because they have no control over it. Right. You decide how you're going to feel about yourself. You can't make it their job. And when you own that, you take that off of them. Oh my gosh! Right Bingo. there, things are going to be a whole. It totally opens you up. Let's do this. Uh, let's take a break, Kim. Come back and then get into more of your points about how we can, uh, you know, deal with the more difficult relationships in our lives. Make sure we have the skills to make it work. We're speaking with Kim Giles from ClarityPointCoaching.com. Go check out the website ClarityPointCoaching.com. We are speaking uh, with Kim Giles from ClarityPointCoaching.com. Kim is one of our great contributors and today is talking to us about the importance of our relationship skills, why it may be the most important skill set we have on earth. I think it is. If you care about people, if you want to have people around you and uh, you don't want to be lonely, then you probably ought to learn how to relate, period. Yeah, right? Because pretty soon nobody's going to want to be around you yeah. if you don't. <laughs> yeah, and then, then then all of a sudden you get into all of this loneliness research that loneliness is like – it's like as bad for your health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Really? Yeah. You may that as well. Sense. And even if you actually have people around you but you feel lonely, that's as if you're smoking a pack of cigarettes. That's what it does to your health. 
Right. It's a big deal. So talk to us about what we what else we should be doing to make sure that we and what relationship skills we need to make sure we have. Okay, so I think one of one of the biggies is self-awareness and and being able to manage our emotions. Because so often we experience something and our emotions kick in about it and turn it into something that's not really accurately what it was. Right. Right? So we've got to be able to recognize when emotions get triggered and how to deal with them. Now, that's not something we're going to teach in yeah. the next 10 minutes on the radio, right? It's, it's too much info. Good, but... It's a little too much info. <laughs> but we've got lots of resources. I've got ebooks and worksheets on my website about how to process emotions, right. worksheets that you can fill out that will help you see it and get out of fear. But the biggest issue with us is just recognizing what your fear triggers are. And everybody's got two. We've got a fear of failure and a fear of loss. So your fear of failure gets triggered when you feel insulted or criticized or judged or inadequate in right. some way. And so you want to watch and see who who in your world is triggering that in you. What what relationships bring that one to the surface? And then the fear of loss is the being mistreated. Mm. It's the life's not fair. You didn't treat me right. You should have treated me different than that. We can have a fear of loss trigger. Now, for a lot of us, one is a little bit bigger than the other or more likely to get triggered. And so you kind of want to watch yourself. Do you, you know, if, if fear of mistreatment is really your big one, you may be kind of a bossy controlling person. You may be like constantly needing to make people be and do what you want them to do so that you feel safe. Oh, yeah. And really what that tells you is that you've got a fear of loss trigger that's going to bring out bad behavior for you. Right. So I have a, an executive client right now who we've, we keep talking about. He's got this lens that he sees the world through, and it's a mistreatment lens. And every situation he sees, he sees it as against him and, and being mistreated. The world's mistreated. against him, yeah. Yeah. But now that he recognizes he has that, he can go, oh, my gosh, that's just that thing again. Yeah. I'm probably not seeing this accurately. Let me step back and and take this lens off and see what I can see outside of fear and recognize that most of the time other people's behavior is about their fears about themselves. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's hurting people that hurt people. Yeah. And And everybody that treats you badly has got their own issue in play. And often this is way more about them than it is about you. Totally. I call it logical force where we're, we're okay doing something that seems logical like retaliating, even though it's immoral, even though it's against our value system, if it it's justified. if it's logical, and like all your friends are like, oh, I'd do that too. I'd totally yeah. be mad. And but so the minute we start using logical force, then we're no, then that is the source of reactivity because we're no longer connecting back into what our values are, what our beliefs are. Is this really who I want to be? Is there other information here I'm missing? So that's why it's so good to slow it down a little bit and tune in. Absolutely. Dial in. I think, you know, that question you just said, is this who I want to be? Yeah. It's probably a huge factor. I like to have all my coaching clients sit down and write down all the roles they play in their life. You're a parent, you're a spouse, you're a sibling, mm. you're a son or daughter. You have a, your role at work. And go to each one and really – Dig in and, and write some stuff down about who you want to be. Hmm. How do you want to be seen in yeah. that role? How do you want to show up? Because if you haven't done that, if you you have, you have no clarity about how you want to show up in that role, chances are you're going to show up reactive and you're not going to be the person 
No. That you're going to be very proud to be. Well, and then when you're not proud, then you're just then you justify it by being a jerk, right? So then you're mad at yourself. Like, why did I? Why do I? What am I becoming? Even if even if I'm becoming a jerk because I'm married to somebody that's difficult, I shouldn't be becoming difficult. You're still not going to feel good about yourself, right. right? Yeah, and then we don't understand. Like, why do I hate my life? Well, it's my husband. It's <laughs> so my what wife. we're really talking about is being proactive instead of reactive. Yeah. Right. And and it's amazing when you sit down on paper and clarify exactly the kind of spouse you want to be, how you want to behave, how do you want to handle conflict. And you've written it all down. When a situation pops up, you're a lot more likely to be able to access that and show up as that person totally. than if you haven't done this. Yeah. A matter of fact, I have my clients define on paper who they want to be and then also define on paper who they are when they're reactive. Yeah. And let's get really clear about your bad behavior. How do you show up when you're reacting and it's emotion and not not clarity so driving true. your behavior? It's so, so if true. you've got them both defined on paper, you can see really clearly your two options. Yeah. And you got those, it's just easier in the moment to choose the right one. They are, it seems like when you when you um once you can kind of get the reactivity down and you've got to get it down because we want to talk. And if we want to talk, I can't be reacting to every single thing you're saying because I need the energy to actually turn it into something more positive. So you, you've got to know where your weaknesses are when it comes to your reactivity. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another resource of the many free things on my website, I have a mutually validating conversation formula, yeah, yeah. really simple little formula. That will help you to be that person in your relationships when you have to have a conversation with someone. It'll step you through what this person really wants from you is validation of their worth and just to be heard and cared about by you. Hmm. And so if you know how to give that to them, put your stuff aside up front. Really ask questions and listen and and let them say anything they need to say without you reacting to it. Yeah. Because it's not truth just because they right. say it, right? right? This is just what they're feeling. Just, Let them get it all out. It is out. what it is. <laughs> and then ask them if they would be willing to let you share kind of how you feel and what you see. Yeah. And ask them for that. But but this simple idea of giving that first before you ask for it yourself mm-hmm. really makes those conversations a lot easier to have. That's what I learned at my uh, high school reunion. So everyone's so nervous to be there. They're so worried about being judged. All of these fears are kicking in. But if you would just ask one simple question about them. Then they just start talking. Then they just start talking. And you don't even have to worry mm. about you. Nope. And then your head, I <laughs> just kept thinking, the, oh, I better keep breathing. <laughs> that's the just best way to attention. deal with insecurity, yeah. Yeah. isn't it? Just to ask questions about them. And, and then it's amazing. People just talk and talk and talk. And they walk away thinking, wasn't Matt a nice what guy? What a neat guy. What and they nice don't know guy. anything about not, me, not but that's me. fine with me. It's like, great. Yeah, that went well. Next. <laughs> and then you go to the next one. Well, that is a good people skills tip yeah. right there, isn't it? Arrows and, out, I call it. Yeah. Put your arrows out. And besides out. that, it's really the most powerful way to show another person that you value the, them yeah. is to listen to them. Totally. So you being, well, you gave them a gift. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that weird? And what's interesting too is if if they had high emotion because they were anxious, you helped them dissipate their emotion because you listened. So when they're dissipating, you you're actually healing them and gathering data. Yeah. And then they walk away like, "He's great. <laughs> that guy 
is amazing. Isn't that Matt, just a simply, nice one? Just because you listened. Isn't that crazy? That yeah. We're like it's that. It's so easy. But that is probably one of the most valuable things we could give the listeners totally. today is ask more questions and do more listening yeah. to other people. And your relationship skills will be better already. It will get so much better. Plus, and don't make it about you. It's not we're so self-centric in our fears and in our relating. It's like I've got to get this thing out of this relationship. But you you teach that we really need to make sure it's it's not about us. Get out of us. Get it. Oh, yeah. Because really your fear and insecurities keep you very focused on you. Mm-hmm. And that in and of itself is a wedge in relationships. People can feel it yeah. when your focus is on you and you're not a safe place for me when I feel that. So I tend to stay away. Mm. So another great tip to improve your relationships is just focus more on others. Yeah. Get out of your own stuff. Remember that you have the same value as every other human being on the planet today and every day, and you always will. No one's better than you. No one's worse. We're just all in a different class doing the best we can with what we know. It's so true. It's so true. (laughs) But it really is interesting how wound up we get in ourselves. Like we are just a big ball wound up energy. And, And to think of it as fear is really powerful. So we let that go when we choose to focus on love, which is really the fastest way out of your fear is to focus on showing up for other people. Mm. Otherwise, you become the big, you know, knocking. Yeah. So, Matt, real quick, um, we have a new coaching program that we're launching, our Shape Up coaching program. They can, if anybody's interested, it's an eight week program that's all online from your house on a video conference. And we're going to upskill these relationship skills. We're going to work on self-esteem. And people can learn more at upskillrelationships.com. Upskills, uh, upskillrelationships.com. Yep. Upskill if you want to come do some coaching with Coach Kim. That's super cool. Good job, Kim. Thank you again for your time. Good stuff. Thanks for having me, Helping Matt. us upskill right there. Kimberly Giles is her name. Go to upskillrelationships.com to continue the journey. And, uh, you know, we're going to keep forward with it as well, trying to up skills as well. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. A little coach's corner uh, for you here. Um, we just talked about relationships, the importance, the impact that uh, your relationships can have on you. I call it getting real. And if you want, if you want to have a, a real connected conversation, four things every one of us could do, and we could do so much easier. Um, recognize emotion in the people that are around us. Hey, you seem upset. Explore the story. E stands for explore the story. Attend to what they're saying and and literally explore their side of the story. When you see someone's angry, there's a story behind it. So let them tell the story. And if you let them tell the story, you can then attend to the, the deeper issue, attend to what I call the starved stuff, the deeper issue, which is, you know, maybe they're angry. Maybe they're frustrated by something. Maybe they feel disrespected, unappreciated, lack of safety. So recognize their emotion. You seem upset. Explore their story as to why they're upset and attend to where they are starving before you ever try to lift the conversation. A lot of us, 
We don't try to lift the conversation. We react to what they're saying. We disagree with what they're saying. We argue with what they're saying. Real conversations create real results. And in the end, it's a, it is a basic, very basic human skill, and yet uh, so difficult, really, for a lot of us. Instead, a lot of us react to what people are saying. We explore our own story. We attend to our pain. And then we wonder why we don't get anywhere. And we tend to lower the conversation by putting someone down or, or throwing you know, a curveball at them. So let's watch out for that. We don't – no need. No need to create such problems. Um, now, let's get to a little empty news. Uh, Jeffrey has been, uh, again, scouring through all of the databases that he can find. He's a journalist in and of him <laughs> by trade. Why are you laughing? I don't know. It just sounded funny when I said that. Hmm. I mean, a lot of people don't see you as a journalist. But well, you, you, none of our listeners actually see me at all. Well, you should. You, you all need to look up Jeffrey Liam Simpson on Facebook. <laughs> um, talk about uh, 7-Eleven. I mean, what, poor 7-Eleven has been robbed more than any other store, I think, hands down. And they've robbed us many times over as well with some of their absorb- – or. Uh, Astronomical <laughs> prices, you know? Oh, that's rude. But mm. they did, you know, they did push a lot of Slim Jims. They can hand it. They've got a thick skin. So Dorsey Saunders, 41 years old, she's got a 12-year-old daughter. They were both arrested what? after they allegedly kicked out the glass doors at a 7-Eleven. Really? Yeah. Just as just kind of a mother-daughter activity? I don't even know the logistics of arresting a 12-year-old girl. I mean, I guess they can go to juvie, but yeah. Hmm. So uh, this was earlier in the week, just after midnight. Saunders was again in police custody, charged with stealing fifty-nine dollars worth of Red Bull ice cream and hot pockets. Whoa! Hot pockets from another convenience store. In the Seven Eleven incident, the pair had been locked in the store by the clerk around eight p.m. After he suspected them of shoplifting, you you may have seen videos of this online. No, where somebody steals something or tries to steal something, or they trash the oh, place. Oh yeah, then they lock so they the can door. lock the door. They can lock them inside the store. They can't get out until the the police show up. <laughs> so uh, he left the store, locking them in, and then he called the police. So they started kicking out the glass. And they ran into the parking lot with the clerk chasing after them. Oh, boy. The 12-year-old allegedly used a stun gun on the clerk. Wow. Again, I didn't even imagine a 12-year-old would have access to a stun gun. And police found all three in the lot when they arrived. A cashier in the second incident called police around 12.15 a.m. to report a shoplifting in progress. She said the woman, identified as Saunders, came in and put six four-packs of Red Bull, four ice cream cups, and a box of Hot Pockets in her purse and left without paying. How do you wow. fit all that? What kind of oh, a purse a are you purse. carrying? It's, it's more like a duffel Oof. bag. It's a duffel purse. So Saunders' car was stopped by police as she was pulling out of the driveway, and she was charged with six-degree larceny. Holy cow. Was it six degrees because it was a six-pack? Yeah. It should have been, yeah. Well, the crowd just loves your humor. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Unbelievable. Family, I mean, you know, do it as a family, right? It, it brings unity together. I don't know. That's How humiliating would that be? You go to run out the store and they lock you in and your head just drops in shame. What did you do this summer? Oh, I just hung out with my mom a lot. We just 
her for her back to school. Talk about your summer. We spent Mom and I were arrested. We spent a lot of time indoors. And I tased a clerk. It's <laughs> like, crazy. Anyway, okay, let's get to something more uplifting. A hero story, folks. As you know, we always like to end the show with a hero story, and some dramatic moments are coming from Houston right now with the floods, uh, with the floods and the rains and the hurricane weather. Dramatic uh, moment. Brandy Smith was reporting for KHOU on the Houston Beltway when she looked down and saw a tractor trailer already up to its windshield in the still rising murky brown waters. Worse, there was a man stuck inside. At that moment, Smith stopped being a reporter and became a hero, as the as video shows from her radio, from her television station. In danger, the driver was up to his shoulders in flood water, and it was still rising. His possessions could be seen floating around him. Running into the road, she flagged down a Harris County Sheriff's officer's truck that was towing a boat past. Are you guys down uh, to the truck that's right there? Um, she asked. They weren't until she said that. There's a truck there, and that's stuck with about 10 feet of water, she explained. And then, by the way, the cop then saw that and then went over to help him out. It's the same location. We had an 18-wheeler go under the bridge and that somebody died last year in the same place, except um, in another part of the freeway. Smith flagged down the cop, told him where the driver was, and thankfully he was towing a boat. So the cop said a man had drowned, um, and uh, they went over there. I mean, earlier somebody had drowned there, I believe, and... uh, they were able to go save this truck driver simply because of a reporter. How cool is that? And that, my friends, is what makes a hero. It's not uh, having all the answers. It's not doing, you know, something brave always. Sometimes it's just using your, your ideas, using your insight to get change to happen. And that's why we do the show, to help you see the good in the world. That's it. Until tomorrow, take care of each other. BYU Sports Nation is up next.